Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with the 2023 WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are deep on the road to WrestleMania 39 with the final WWE Premium live event before the company's biggest show of the year. That is indeed Elimination Chamber, and it is indeed emanating from Montreal, Quebec, Canada this Saturday night. The Silver King is here. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily, and we will be breaking down every single ounce of content as it pertains to Elimination Chamber and the last week in WWE. But it would not be an addition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast if we didn't kick things off the right way. And that right way is a reminder that this program is all about defy. So please, folks, it is getting tiresome. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just click the fifth star in those ratings. That's all we're asking you to do. And if you happen to have a little extra time, leave a five-star written review as well on Apple Podcasts. The reviews help us so much that if you do leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. And if there is any week to be following us on Twitter, a pay-per-view or premium live event week is the best week. Because not only do we tweet show drops, news, analysis, highlights, all that good stuff throughout the week, on the day of the special event, we tweet pre and post show polls. That way you can let us know your expectation grades and final grades for any given event. And about 60 to 90 minutes Before that show goes on the air, we drop an exclusive Getting Over live pre-show, which we will be doing on Saturday ahead of Elimination Chamber. We do that live on Twitter spaces. We give you our final thoughts coming out of the Go Home Smackdown. We answer questions and we open the mics. That way all of you can get involved. And the only way you can vote in those polls and join us on Twitter spaces is by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, do not forget Saturday night, as soon as WWE Elimination Chamber goes off the air, Vintage and the Silver King, we will be back with a WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis right here in the normal podcast feed. Saturday night, early Sunday morning, that will be ready for you. You do not want to miss it. It is Getting Over's signature instant analysis episode. So with all of that now out of the way, Chris, it is My pleasure to welcome you into today's show as we get prepared for our WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview. And I got to say, even though SmackDown this coming Friday is technically the go-home show, the real go-home shows, the ones that give you time to digest and enjoy the content that you have been provided on the road to Elimination Chamber, I thought they were damn solid this week. SmackDown in particular, from start to finish, really you couldn't ask for much more. Raw was probably one of the most eventful go-home shows that I can remember. Even the low-card or throwaway time-filler segments, they all felt like they had a purpose and storylines that were built either on television or at least digitally. 
the three hours of Raw didn't fly by like we have said it, it's done in other weeks. But rather, it felt like three hours jam-packed with content so that it was three hours well spent. I didn't feel like they were wasted. I just really loved what we got from Raw on Monday night. Remember where we were at this point a year ago? I do. Uh, we, we we could tell that we were going to get Roman versus Brock. It was sucking up all the oxygen. We didn't like it. The build to so many other things was not very good. And now we get to this point where there was only one Cody, Sammy, Bloodline segment on Raw, I believe. I think that was the only one. Or two, I guess, technically. But mm-hmm. it, 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 and yet Raw felt full. Like, it felt like a lot of important things happened. Chris, we had five hours of TV this week, no Roman Reigns, and it didn't matter. Yes. It would have been nice to have him, but yes, that's sure. a, that's a real credit to how they are building everything up. And a lot of stuff that is not on the Elimination Chamber card. And there's more excitement going into this, the pay-per-view before WrestleMania, than, shoot, I don't know the last time, man. Like, the- at least a decade, maybe? Like, it, it's... It's well, been a there's lot, more so. excitement for Elimination Chamber than WrestleMania 38 by direct comparison. Yeah, I, it's hard to compare because WrestleMania is a totally I'm saying the road. Let me let me clarify that. You're right, because we had Stone Cold Steve Austin. There were some other things that were really yeah. exciting last year. The road to WrestleMania this year is the best road to WrestleMania that we have had in I legitimately don't remember. I asked the question on Twitter thinking I was going to get some like, really specific responses. Oh, clearly this year was the best. And some people pointed it to WrestleMania 35. And it's like, look, I, I was infatuated with the Kofi Kingston storyline. For all of you who listen to my old podcast, you know, I, I talked about it months before it even actually came to fruition. Uh, obviously, I was a huge Becky Lynch fan. I loved that storyline for what it was. It was kind of botched with the addition of Charlotte Flair. We don't have to go into all that again. But when you really think about top to bottom, a build for WrestleMania, where especially me as a podcaster, someone who talks about this or has spoken about WrestleMania, the road to it every year since 32 or 33. Like it's been a long time that I've been doing this. The gen- the, the genuine like excitement to talk about what is your projected WrestleMania card? How is this going to, how are we going to get there? What are the match results going to be like? I'm actually like, jolted about the entire thing. And I don't remember legitimately the last time I felt this way going into a WrestleMania. And we still have another show to go before we get there. And I know it's so simple to say, ah, Triple H has the book. That's why. But like, that's why. (laughs) Like, like, it's just this, like legitimate storytelling is what we've always missed and and, and needed and wanted. And I mean, WrestleMania 35, yes, we had Kofi Mania. We had the Becky thing. The final weeks going into that women's triple threat were not, you know, it, it dragged on for a bit. They we were at the, the point where the cop car, the cop car segment was the, the that peak. was that was good. Middle. But but it was like a lot of times it's like, can we just finally get there? That last month is mm-hmm. a drag here. I'm like, I don't want to get to WrestleMania yet. I want to get to Elimination <laughs> Chamber right now. And, 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 and so like right. it's just everything matters and it it, it feels good. I, I had to rewatch. I actually had to rewatch half of Raw on Monday because those of you know i'm a michigan state alumnus and so the terrible shooting that had happened on, on monday night i was kind of just kind of mm-hmm. swamped in, in in that and in a lot of that stuff and um just really terrible a lot of people reached out and i appreciate you doing that but uh i, I rewatched raw on monday uh tuesday morning uh some of it to, to catch back up and yeah it just it um it flowed well 
and I'm really, really excited for Elimination Chamber. I was like, and by the way, I get excited. Like when we do the podcast, it's always fun to, you know, watch Raw on Monday night and take the notes and know that we're going to talk about wrestling on Tuesday. But like today on this show, we're, we're taping it a lot later than we normally do. And all day I've been like, my, my foot's been like vibrating. Like I want to get to it. I want to talk about this with Chris. Like I want to go through this all. And this legitimate excitement that I have, I, again, I, I love the Kofi Kingston, you know, road and, and his win and, and Becky getting her moments. And there's been other really great things that have happened at WrestleMania over the last few years, but just top to bottom, I have not felt this way going into WWE's biggest show of the year. And again, there's like five weeks left beyond Elimination Chamber for us to get there. And you kind of alluded to it. I was a little slow. I was going to do the sound drop for you. You're not saying that it's because Trips has the book, but Trips has the book. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. And I really do think, Chris, as we get through this show, and we discuss segment by segment. And of course, we talk about uh, everything on Elimination Chamber itself. It's going to become quite apparent to people the drastic differences in the way we talk about WWE storylines now compared to a year ago, where it's just like, why is this happening? This is the fifth time we've seen a rematch you know, on Raw. This doesn't make any sense. Who the hell are they even going to fight at WrestleMania? Now, sure, there could be a couple swerves that we're not prepared for on the way. But pretty much it's clear where we're going and the intricacies of the storyline, particularly the main event storyline, it is just really something to behold. And it's not to say it hasn't ever been accomplished in WWE recently or that AEW doesn't do some of it as well because AEW certainly has some solid storylines. But what we are seeing right now, and we will talk about it extensively in this show with Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, and Sami Zayn. You know, I said a couple weeks ago, I think it was coming after the, out of the Royal Rumble, this is the greatest storyline of all time. All that the last three weeks has accomplished is entrench that further and further in my mind. With each passing show and each passing segment, this separates itself even further from Mega Powers Explode for me as the clear number one storyline of all time. Yes, we are going to very much get into Sammy and Cody and everything that happened we are. Uh, as we get into the preview. So on that, let me break down how this show is going to play out. So everyone who is listening knows we are going to kick off with the main event, a single topic main event, just to get the juices flowing and get a little bloodline going before we actually dive into Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. But we're going to start with the main event. We're going to get to the good, the bad and the ugly, where we are going to break down everything else across SmackDown and Raw, everything that happened this week. And we will wrap things up with the WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview, where we will break down all of the matches, including some stuff that happened across SmackDown and Raw. We will give you predictions. We will end with a pre-show expectation grade. And then before we get out of here, our new segment, third or fourth week, we're doing it. I think third week, the last word, which now officially has a sound drop. So there is a ton left here on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And Chris, we are going to get things rolling as we always do here on the WWE episodes by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And the main event this week completely revolves around the Usos, specifically the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match we had when the Usos defended against Braun Strowman and Ricochet this past Friday. Now, Jimmy Uso was shown leaving three voice messages for Jay in the show's first half hour. He later opened up to Paul Heyman 
that he's been trying to reach Jay all day and no one from the bloodline is there while Paul was focused on fixing his pocket square. Heyman asked Jimmy why he didn't help him in the ring with Sami Zayn and told Jimmy he'll probably be on his own for his match. Jimmy was confident Jay would show up in the end. And just as Samantha Irvin was ready to announce Jimmy on his own, Jay Uso appeared in the crowd to his delight. He stormed down to the ring. They embraced to a nice pop. The Usos got introduced and the match began. This was just fantastic execution of this storyline from the segment initially making viewers believe that Jimmy might actually be on his own to Heyman having no answers for him to Jay's last second appearance, really garnering like an emotional reaction from his brother and the crowd. My one problem was the idea that Roman Reigns, whose bloodline is fractured, would not at least ensure that Solo was there to help Jimmy retain the titles in a worst case scenario. They're all about their undisputed championships. And yeah, Reigns is about himself more than the rest of his family, but he doesn't want to see those titles get lost. So they can explain around it. They didn't explain around it, but I found that to be a plot hole. It's one thing for Roman not to be there. It's another for Solo, who is brothers with Jimmy, to not be there. Yeah, that was the one hole. And look, they've already, they've already, you know, made it canon that someone else can fill in in a tag team match and can attend the titles because we had Jay and uh, uh, Sammy a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So th- that could you could throw Solo in there and it would count. So yes, I just wish they would have explained it, even if it was just like Roman wants you two to figure it out. He's not sending in Solo. Like right, you and your brother have to figure this out. Just like a little thing would have worked. Paul Heyman, the, the suggestion that Paul Heyman be in the match was kind Funny, of yeah. an acknowledgement of that. And I actually got my hopes up for a, for a quick second there. And uh, but it was a good build because I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, like, I don't know if if he's going to show up, how he's going to show up, what's, what's going to look like. So it was a good build throughout the show uh, to something that, um, well, I guess the first half of the show, because it didn't even main event the show. Yeah, Jimmy resorting to suggesting Paul be his partner. That definitely made me chuckle in the moment. And Heyman was even taken a little aback by it. I thought that was pretty great. So let's get to the match itself. Ricochet hit a standing moonsault, standing shooting star press, springboard moonsault, and springboard crossbody all during the match. Jay was the key to the Uso success. He saved Jimmy and took down Braun with a Tope Suicida super kick and flying crossbody for a 2.8. Jimmy bounced off the ropes into a running power slam. Ricochet then hit a swanton bomb off of Braun's shoulders, but Jay broke the fall. Jay then dodged Strowman's locomotive outside with Braun flying over the announce table. Ricochet caught Jay with the Tope Cone Hero, but Jimmy stopped Rick on the top rope. Jay blind tagged. Ricochet pushed Jimmy down and hit a shooting star press only for Jay to immediately fly in from the opposite corner with the Uso splash for the one, two, three and title retention. Now the match started slow. It finished on absolute Fire. The final five minutes of the match were fantastic, okay? Braun throwing himself over the table as a way of like getting him out of the finish was awesome. And then the immediate one-shot, two-shot with the shooting star press from Rick and the Uso splash from Jay in succession, that was just such a fire finish. I went four stars, A- minus for the match. The finish was an A+. Extremely well done. Also, if you rewatch it, the camera work to hit Every single one of those four moves at the end was sensational. Huge credit to production there. They nailed every single shot. I also wanted to shout out commentary here because uh, when Rick Shane and Braun made their entrance, Wade Barrett called them uh, a, a duo of misfits 
that had grown together. And I was like, that's it. That's Hmm. everything. I don't need to know anything else about the two of them. That single line right there tells me everything about this team coming into this match. Like, I just like if you were a first time viewer. Yes. And then Cole, as Jimmy, uh, Jimmy made his entrance, said, he said, we the one because they're down to one. I just thought that was a great line. That was a great line as well from Cole. So that was good. Speaking of the camera work, getting Jimmy's smile when he saw Jay. Great shot as well. That really worked. Um, Match was a lot of fun. Great finish, as you said. Because this was not the main event of the show, you knew for sure how it was going to end, just in case you didn't already. Um, Right. So that was, I kind of wish it was the main event of the show, but it's fine. Um, And and yeah, it was good. I'd been like, I'd wondered if Jay should have shown up during the match or something like that. Uh, But what they did worked. And so I, I thought this uh, was very, very well executed for a good little story. They've told uh, since the rumble that we love the bloodline story because there's so many tentacles to it. And this was another one. And they let the two of them shine and, and work it out together. So, you know what, like that, what you just said about coming out during the match, that is the way it always goes. Like it, that's such a yes. standard yep. way to do it because WWE under triple H, by the way, now does full ring introductions with the spotlights and, and the darkened crowd for all title matches. The effectiveness of Jimmy stopping Samantha Irvin from doing her introduction, because she said like on his own, you know, Jimmy, mm-hmm. as she was getting into doing that, stopping her almost as if if she says it, she makes it official, even though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Case, stopping her pointing up the crowd not realizing Jay was there until Jimmy pointed, then the crowd showing Jay. I mean, they executed that so well. It really was from a production standpoint. Just excellent. We briefly mentioned Braun and Ricochet, or you did, I should say. So let me talk about them a little bit. Braun and Ricochet are the perfect example of two guys who should be able to work as singles, but simultaneously have each other's back as a team. There are great compliments to one another. And WWE actually did a fine job building a short storyline to give them a reason to team together before just having them team together because in one night, one gets attacked and the other makes the save. Beyond that, Braun really deserves a lot more credit than he gets. He is one of the few super heavyweights in wrestling. I'm not just saying active now, but in the last 20 years, who can actually move. The guy works that ring. He hits the ropes hard. And you can say, well, Braun Breaker hits the ropes really hard too. True. Braun Breaker is, I mean, I don't have the exact height, but he's probably like eight inches shorter than Braun and Strowman. Braun is giant. Braun is a giant. yeah, Yeah. And probably 50 pounds lighter at a minimum, if not more. Braun is a legitimate giant. And you see him with Omos or Satnam Singh in AEW or whoever else, uh, Babatunde, Dabakato. And what Braun is able to do athletically is just otherworldly. So you may not like him on Twitter. Uh, You may not agree with some of his views. I certainly don't. Um, But the one thing or the two things that you can't take away from this guy are he resonates with the crowd. They absolutely love him. And from an athletic standpoint, the stuff he can do as a big man, the way he has progressed throughout his entire career, he is better in the ring returning to WWE than he was when he left it. 
This guy had a 2.99 kickout in the match. It was fantastic. I just want to give him his flowers because he does not get enough credit and people are way too harsh on him as, oh, WWE just loves the big men. No, this is the type of big man that WWE should have. Guys like him, guys like Mark Henry, Big Show when he trimmed down. That's the big man that works in professional wrestling, especially in 2023. Yeah, there's a reason we all thought Braun should have gone over Roman way back in the day when the I'm not yes. finished with you yet, and they didn't pull the trigger, mm-hmm. and it really hurt him when that happened. So um, he, he's good. That's why it was good to see him back. It's why he didn't really seem to fit anywhere else, because he's just he's so made for WWE because of what he can do, and I'm glad you uh, shouted him out. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that not putting him over Roman – was quote unquote a disaster then, but it was a really poor decision not to do that. I mean, they had yeah. someone that they could have thrown into, you know, the fire as a pure white hot baby face, and they just chose not to do it. Uh, now, regarding the bloodline, Roman Reigns, we're going to talk a lot more about what happened with the Usos after this match on SmackDown in the Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview in the third segment of this show. I did want to note that Braun and Ricochet did a great job as a tag team. Those separately and together, they're completely over with the crowd. Strowman may have been WWE's best signing under Triple H, we could possibly say. And Ricochet feels completely revived in the last few months. I just wanted to say that before we get out of this segment. Is there anything else you want to say regarding Usos, Ricochet, or Strowman? No, I think that about covers it. All right, which means it is now time to move to the second segment on this special edition of the Getting Over wrestling podcast the good the bad and the ugly then i'm sorry miss rosie perez i call a spade a spade it just is what it is but you can't give credit to anything dude says same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. it's time to wake up the dead you sound a little naive in the articles that i read yeah this just hits different with the new setup I love the way this sounds. Chris, we are going to start the good, the bad, and the ugly this week with Baron Corbin. Yes, we are starting with Baron Corbin. He was backstage depressed about the events of last week when he got cut off by the interviewer for a development in the ring. That development was Sami Zayn showing up unannounced in his black hoodie. Now, that's a little bit of a tease because we're going to talk about what happened in that moment later in the Ultimate Preview. But... After that segment, which did involve Cody Rhodes, they went back to Corbin backstage, who said he was better off without JBL. He called him a has-been. Corbin then called out the disrespect of being cut off earlier in the show that we just mentioned. He promised Roman Reigns would destroy Sammy at Elimination Chamber before noting he's the last one to actually defeat Reigns. Now, technically, Seth Rollins also beat Reigns. That was disqualification. But Corbin's right. He's the last person to get a clean fall over mm-hmm. Reigns, quote-unquote, clean. Uh, he then talked shit about Zayn and Cody, who walked through gorilla position behind him to overhear the second half of his promo. Corbin called Cody, Dustin, Dusty, and even Pharaoh, his dog, all jokes. So Rhodes attacked him, then dragged him through gorilla into the ring and demanded a referee follow him. So we got Rhodes versus Corbin. This immediately started. Cody was wearing a suit. He had a tope suicida, ran Corbin into the post and still steps. He then hit the Cody Cutter and Crossroads for a dominant, clean win. I was ready to give this a good for the interruption alone. The five-second segment backstage, I love the way they did that. I just thought it was a really good way to continue like the depression and disrespect that Corbin faces. 
And then they furthered it by having Corbin actually cut a promo, which was probably his, the best thing he's done on the mic since like the 2021 build to SummerSlam when he was bum-ass Corbin. And then his bad luck continues with Cody absolutely wrecking his ass. So this was a double good. It was a blast. And like I said, I legitimately believe it was Corbin's best segment since the summer of 2021. It was good. It, Corbin did a great job. They're, they're, they're working on something with him, getting him away from, we liked the JBL segment that they did before to break him away. Now he's upset. Now he's lashing out and, and, and stuff like that happens. So that is a positive. Another positive. Anytime they let Cody wrestle, it's a, it's a win for WWE. Like so many times your main event guy is just not wrestling on the show. But Cody's been wrestling about every other week, you know, since since he came back. And he was doing that when he first mm-hmm. showed up, too, uh, a year ago. So crowd, Cody matches just feel different, you know, when, when he's there wrestling on Raw. So that was good. And kind of the things I said, I said before about Drew McIntyre in street clothes, like just looking a bit different and a bit tougher. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Cody. Like Cody wears the suit incredibly well. But when you like have the bottom of the suit without the, the shirt, without the wrist tape and all that kind of stuff, like. Just he looked more, just looked bigger, tougher, more intimidating, stuff like that. So he looked great. Segment, definitely a good. I like it. I like it a lot. That's a double good there, surprisingly, for Baron Corbin to open the segment. Uh, Becky Lynch started Raw to a huge pop with Adam Pierce in the ring. He got booed for some reason, which I didn't get at all. He's technically a face. He's a good guy. He's named Adam. Why are you booing him in Brooklyn? I don't get that. So shame on you guys. But that's the only demerit I'm giving to a Brooklyn crowd, Chris. That was pretty much perfect over the remainder of the evening. Anyway, Becky thanked Lita for helping last week before saying the Bailey feud took her focus off WrestleMania. So she asked Pierce to let her fight her way into the elimination chamber. Bailey came out saying Lita's distraction meant their business is not settled. And it's her, Bailey who belongs in the match. They got into a huge heated argument about their resumes and credentials when Bianca Belair came out to her best pop in months. Belair suggested they all fight to earn a spot and Pierce made a triple threat where Belair either keeps them out of the chamber or the winner of the match got added as the seventh competitor. It's been rare recently for the women to open Raw and this put the division's top three names front and center with a really big stipulation. That's compelling TV. Beyond that, Becky and Bailey nailed their confrontation. The concept of them wanting to continue their feud for the title, totally appropriate. But the potential ramifications of the booking irked me unless we got a certain finish to the match, which we will discuss in a little bit. This was a really good start to the show, and I was positive despite it being a little bit provisional based on what we got later. I was confused because I I had just I guess I had just thought that the cage match last week was for a spot in the elimination chamber. I just, oh no, I guess I had thought that. Yeah, yeah. So when they explained it, I was like, oh, I guess it's I guess it's not. And then they're like, well, let's just fight again for it. And I was like, I hope they don't do that. And <laughs> and so I was a little unsure about it going in. And then Bianca comes in, and I'm like, huh. I think there's only one way they can really book this, but are they really going to do it? Mm-hmm. So are, are we grading this just this opening segment on its own? Yeah, because it was the start to Raw. It went for a long time, and I think it's worth the yeah. second grade, yeah. I, I'll give it a good, but I was also just kind of confused for a, a bit of it. Okay, so we got to the main event of the show. Bianca, Becky, Bailey in Brooklyn 
four Bs. It was a non-title match for the stipulation I mentioned earlier. It was nonstop action. The Bailey took Lynch off the apron with a code breaker only for Becky to break a knee bar with her flying leg drop. Lynch then hit a double DDT and later flipped Belair into the middle turnbuckle. Damage control visited ringside, helping Bailey into the ring for a powerbomb off a superplex. Bailey pointed at the sign and hit a diving elbow on Becky when Bianca rolled herself out of the way. Becky then hit a flip over cutter on Belair out of the corner, falling into Bailey during the move for a senton. She followed with a manhandle slam on Bailey, only for EO Sky to break the fall and throw Becky into the post. Dakota Kai saved the KOD and damage control nearly got Bailey a fall when suddenly the entire chamber field for the women ran down to take out damage control and really each other. They started fighting with each other after that. Io was thrown outside by Bianca into all the women. Belair countered disarmor, throwing Lynch into Bailey, who she immediately caught with a manhandle slam. Bianca then grabbed Becky immediately for a KOD into Bailey, and Becky kind of, she was supposed to bounce off on the landing, but didn't. So she like threw herself off Bailey, which was a little bit of a botch, looked silly in the moment, but Belair covered Bailey for the one, two, three to keep the chamber clean. Now the booking here completely resolved, at least for me, concerns created by the stipulation. And it worked particularly well because we've been discussing on this show how Belair's atrocious booking recently has cooled her off over really the last couple of months. Well, winning a triple threat over Becky and Bailey, plus the Brooklyn crowd's reaction, that heated her right back up when she really needed it the most. WrestleMania season going into the biggest show of the year. I also thought it was a hell of a match. 3.75 stars, B+. Was the finish a little clunky with the way Becky sold the KOD by not jumping off Bailey immediately? Yes, because theoretically she could have stayed on top of Bailey and gotten the fall in one. She threw herself off. It looked kind of stupid, but shit happens in matches. Sometimes the finish doesn't go the way you want it to. Guess what? It happened at WrestleMania 35 with Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey. We don't remember that finish. We remember the fact that Becky won the title, even though I did just mention that finish again. Uh, anyway, this gave Belair some momentum that she badly needed. It gave a reason for the continuation of the Becky Bailey feud, and it put the entire women's division in the spotlight on the go home to chamber. So for all three of those reasons, it was good. I don't disagree with what you just said at the end there, but it personally didn't accomplish that just for me. Okay. Bi- Bianca always winning, now beating Becky and uh, Bailey together. I just went, all right, Super Bianca, you know, Super Cena, Bianca Belair is here, and she won another match. And like, she's not in the Elimination Chamber, so like, I get it. But I was just like, all right, Bianca wins again, Bailey loses again, and it just it didn't feel as new or fresh to me. So I, said, I buy that. Well, that, 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 that said, I'm waiting. I, I, I'm waiting for what happens next. But right okay. now, I didn't come out of that like, oh, man, like everything's rolling here. It just kind of felt like. It just felt like it was fine. So I, I buy that take from you. Like, I don't think it's unfair necessarily, but I do see there's a lot of people on the IWC purporting that. Damage control sucks because they don't win stuff clean all the time. And Bailey, even though she wanted this group, isn't doing a great job. And Becky Lynch has been completely diminished because she loses matches and stuff. Well, you know, folks, Bianca Belair is your champion. She's been the one who's been the worst booked out of everyone because she hasn't really had feuds that you can actually sink your teeth into. 
And mm. really the biggest problem was Bianca going over basically damage control three on one in some respects. But yeah. when Becky Lynch isn't your champion and she's in a feud with a trio of women who are not only heels, but cheat, she's going to lose matches and it's okay. Guess who else lost matches? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Guess who lost a lot more than Stone Cold Steve Austin? The Rock. It's okay to lose as long as the crowd is still behind the person. And what Becky has never lost is the crowd support. The difference is yes. Bianca Belair, I'm not saying she's lost the crowd support where they boo her, but they weren't as hot for her over the last like two months or so than they had been. And candidly, Belair's title reign is really running thin. I think she's been champion for like 12 Since of maybe. the last 15 months or 15 of yeah. the last 17. Like it's some wild number. And there really hasn't been anyone in that time with the exception of Becky Lynch, of course, where you actually believed, oh, she might drop the title here. Like we talked about situations in which she might, we thought Bailey might beat her because she was a heel and that would allow Becky Lynch to go after the Raw Women's Championship or a face at the time, Rhea Ripley, we thought she would be, go after the championship at WrestleMania. But they decided to keep it on Bianca Belair. And really the problem was her booking. So for me, like I'm okay that Becky Lynch has lost matches. I'm okay that Bailey and Damage Control have lost matches because the context of those losses is all sensical. Like it makes sense. So I don't buy this being an issue. I don't think anything was lost by Bailey getting pinned by Bianca Belair, who guess what? Had already pinned her a number of times. Uh, Becky Lynch getting tossed out of the way or jumping herself out of the way. I don't think that's a huge deal because Becky's not really going after the championship. What WWE did was what they used to do all the time in the Attitude Era, which by the way, is where Triple H like learned a lot of his booking chops from. It's you book a storyline on a show to make the champion look good, to get a hot main event with the top talent in your division and for a nice go-home moment for the pay-per-view. They accomplished that. So I thought it was good. Really simple. I, like, I'll give it a light, light good. I just didn't No, you don't care. have to change just, your take. I, right. I'm just it, just, it just feels weird that you've got a number one contender match coming up with Nikki Cross and Natalia and Carmella in it and not Becky and Bailey. I will. I well, one that week was from now. That was literally explained in the opening no, segment I know. of the show. I'm just saying it's not as exciting. And so a week from now, if Lita's there, if we're, we're off in WrestleMania land with Becky and Bailey and we know what they're doing, I'll feel I'll just be more interested in them. It just I'm not there yet. I do think I will get there. This is not the first storyline that either started too early or met a lull on the road to WrestleMania where it's like, okay, it would have been hotter if you guys just did this eight weeks out instead of 16 weeks out or however long this has been going. So I agree it's dragging on. There's no question about it. But clearly with the involvement of Lita, she's going to be in the WrestleMania match. I presume there will be another big name in that match, whether it's Tristratus or someone else. There's going to be something involved in this match with Becky and Bailey, where I think by the time we get to WrestleMania, and again, this is a level of trust that Triple H has built up with us and wrestling fans mm -hmm. that the previous regime did not have. I trust that all of this is going to make sense by the time we get to WrestleMania and that Becky Lynch and Bailey, two of the top women in the division, are going to be in a very important match on the show. Yes, agree. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Seth Rollins guested on Ms. TV and the serenade when he came in was so long that Ms. 
literally tried and failed to stop the crowd due to like time constraints. Rollins was also wearing these cartoon looking big red boots that are apparently something that's happening now. And, and they're like $350 and celebrities are wearing them. It's a deal. Uh, Miz got cheap heat talking about getting Taylor Swift tickets in Brooklyn. And he did get heat for that. Uh, Rollins didn't want to talk about Logan Paul with Miz pressing. He pointed out Seth only talks about him outside the ring and that pissed him off. Rollins exclaimed that main eventing WrestleMania is what matters and he won't mention Logan's name in the ring because all that Logan wants is attention and popularity and all he deserves is to get his ass kicked. Miz called him jealous. Rollins kept calling him Mike, he called him stupid. Miz pointed out they're the only two double Grand Slam champions in WWE history but he's the only one who's main evented WrestleMania. Rollins slugged him, hit him with a director's chair, and he was going to hit the stomp. When Austin Theory pulled him out of the ring, Rollins took shots outside. He countered skull-crushing finale and hit a stomp on Miz, only for Theory to catch him with A-Town down. Theory then screamed that Rollins is the past and he's the future. The crowd work from Rollins and Miz here was exemplary. Brooklyn was in the palm of their hands the entire segment. Rollins was so good and so believable in what he was saying here where he now becomes, at least in my mind, the favorite to main event or at least win a championship at WrestleMania 40 next year. And Theory standing tall to conclude all of this was appropriate given he's the champion and they were trying to promote the Elimination Chamber match. I thought this was good. Definite good. By the way, those big red boots, they technically aren't on sale until February 16th but you can buy them. It looks like on stock X for like a thousand dollars or stuff like that. I forgot. I was trying to remember where they started. It's, it, but it just looked so goofy and like, it was hilarious. It's a it thing was almost, though, and it got a lot of viral. Action. It is. It did. I'm. It, it did. It definitely worked. It was just almost, it was just, it was like a little too goofy for me that I couldn't, <laughs> fully invest in the segment because I was just laughing about the stupid boots. So that's probably a net positive for them in the end. But uh, I just couldn't get over that. Um, But this was this was uh, all good. Miz and Seth talking, you know, Seth talking about, hey, like I actually haven't main evented WrestleMania before and I'm pissed off about that. Like, it's always a good reminder because I forget that. Like he had the big moment at WrestleMania 31, but he wasn't. He wasn't in the main no. event. He cashed in money mm-hmm. in the bank. He didn't get a big entrance. He didn't get you know a build up to it. For as accomplished as he is, he has not gotten that. And so I, I was glad they talked about that. Austin Theory, you know, coming out and doing his thing, work this um, very good, like you said, crowd work amongst uh, all these people. It was a, it was a, a goofy good. It really is absurd and pathetic that Rollins has been there that long, been as good as he has been and yet has not main evented as challenger or champion WrestleMania. Now, the one year he probably was going to, obviously he got injured and he had to relinquish the title. So, you know, that played a part in the entire thing. But it is that, that you know, the reliance on Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar in that spot, it really has cut out Rollins' knees on numerous occasions. It's unfortunate. And, you know, look, WrestleMania 40, it's a full year away, right? We're 13 months away from WrestleMania 40. and I'm. There's going to be all the talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock being there. And who the hell knows what else is going to be on the docket. Seth Rollins should be in a title match in the main event of night one or night two of that show. There's zero question in my mind about that. 
Yeah, having a night one and night two makes that a lot more doable now. Also, the year that Seth fought Brock, that happened to be the year that his now wife was the main event. And so he was the show opener. Right. They uh, opened the show. Great point. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I completely forgot about kind that. Of, yeah, you're right. Kind of a bit of kind of a bit of circumstance, too. But uh, yeah, he's very good. Uh, Elias confronted Rick Boogs backstage, admitting he's heard comparisons between them. He tried to give him some confidence, saying if he loses to Miz, he still has a bright future. But if Boogs beats Miz, maybe they can collaborate. Boogs got like all hyped and jacked up backstage. He walked off while MVP was chatting with Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander in the background for the second week in a row. But like it's happened frequently over the last month. Raw then went to commercial, but left picture in picture up. Miz was dead on the canvas from the segment that we just talked about taking the stomp. He got manhandled by the ring crew because they had to roll up the carpeting for Miz TV and get him on the mat so that they could actually clear the ring and start the match. If you watch the picture in picture, it was downright hysterical. And it's the best picture in picture that I've seen since AEW. The, I think with the first or second one was Sammy Guevara back when they started doing it. That was great. This was downright hysterical. So we come back from commercial. Miz is like crawling up the ropes, just trying to get himself to his feet. Boogs enters. Miz grabs a mic. He's protesting the match. The referee shrugs and rings the bell anyway. Boogs hits a toss suplex. He curled Miz in his arms 10 times in a pump handle stance. Then he hit a press version of the world's strongest slam for the win. There's still something left to be desired from Boogs in the ring, but the way this was paced and executed, it was a ton of fun and it was good. Yeah, it was fun. It was funny. It was it was um, entertaining. It was good. I agree. I still don't know what Boogs is right now, but, you know, just a funny bit of a segment here. Like, it was fine. It was good. On SmackDown, we had the Intercontinental Championship number one contender match. Rey Mysterio against Karrion Cross, Santos Escobar, and Madcap Moss. Cross backstage promised Scarlett he would make Ray suffer and put him down. Mysterio later said nothing would prevent him from winning the four-way. Escobar later said he looks and competes like a champion. And then Moss also got a promo where he said he looks good, so he feels good thanking Emma for his new gear. So great, he's away from the generic black tights. But Chris, his name is still fucking Madcap. With all of the changes Triple H has made to everyone else's characters, Name changes, gimmick changes, going back to NXT, all that type of stuff. How is this guy still named fucking Madcap? Please explain it to me. I'll tell you why. Because nobody knew what Madcap meant in the fucking first place. And he's known as that now. I guarantee if you did like focus groups of casual WWE fans and kids and stuff like that, and you said Riddick Moss or Madcap Moss, you'd be like, no, that's that's Madcap Moss. Like, No, I agree. That's what true. he is. And I, so I think it's it's fine because again, but Chris, Madcap well, is like Madcap. Mad is like a yeah, 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 yeah. Thirty second timeout. Dewdrop was known as Dewdrop until she was renamed Piper Niven, and now everyone knows her as Piper Niven. If he's Moss and they change the first name, it's not that big of a deal. But his name wasn't some ridiculous like Dewdrop. Madcap Mad is Cap. as ridiculous as Dewdrop. Nobody knows what it means, though. It's just like it's just a, it's just a phrase like no one knows. It's like a 1920s term about a jokester or whatever it was like. Even when he was doing that gimmick, nobody understood what it meant. So I I think it's fine. I when I think of him, I think of Madcap Moss. I don't think of Riddick Moss. He's he's he is by far his most accomplished with that name. And it's such an obscure name 
that it works anyway, that I've actually come around on it. And I'm just like, it's fine. If he was Riddick Moss, I would not think about, I would not think of him any different. And so like, he's not going to be thrown to the top of the card or anything like that. Like he's just, he is where he is and he's known as madcap. I'm fine with it. I hate this. I hate this crap. Stop. Stop with the crap. I refuse to accept it and I never will accept it. Period. Let's get to the match. Imperium watched the main event from a skybox. There was a fun moment where Cross and Escobar argued over who got to hit Mysterio. Cross said, it's nice to see you. Escobar said, I'm Lucha. Cross said, yeah, well, I was Lucha too. All of this was off mic. Commentary even pointed out they used to fight in Mexico. So just the whole thing was really cool to do in the middle of a match. Moss threw Mysterio into Escobar with a fallaway slam before Mysterio and Escobar finally got to fight each other before hitting topes on the others. Way later, Escobar hit a phantom driver with Moss super late on the breakup, so Ray had to kick out. That was unfortunate, given it's a finisher, and I don't think anyone had kicked out of it on the main roster yet. A little bit of a botch. Escobar took Moss down with an avalanche huracarana. Mysterio hit Cross with a 619, but Scarlet tripped him on the apron. Cross then leveled Ray with the cross hammer. Escobar eliminated Cross outside, and Moss hit a flying elbow drop on Ray for the surprise 1-2-3 to win the number one contendership. So Moss was the unexpected winner, but he was the lone babyface in the match who had not yet fought Gunther. So it didn't make a lot of sense as a fresh matchup. Ray had a clear excuse for taking the fall after getting tripped and eating two different finishers. It was nice to see Escobar protected as he stood toe-to-toe with Mysterio and Cross. Moss getting the opportunity, it makes it even more unfathomable that he returned without a name change, but it was an extremely strong main event, 3.5, 3.75 stars, B+, plus, and good. Yeah, it, it was a good match. If if you're not going to, you know, if you're saving Gunther's big, you know, match for WrestleMania, you give him an, an easy new opponent to do in the meantime. It was fine. Like, everyone else would kind of figure out what they were. This is just kind of what the Intercontinental title is sometimes. Um, so it will be a fresh matchup. And look, he'll get a one-on-one shot and maybe he'll make something of it. I kept I kept forgetting that he won, honestly, because I just, my biggest takeaway from the match was what I've said ever since I saw him in NXT, and that is Santos Escobar is a future star mm-hmm. uh, in this company. He has everything you want. He looks like a million bucks. The entrance gear is great. Uh, there's that, you know, that Mexican Latino crossover that you, you maybe wanted with Andrade but couldn't get. Speaks the language well. Great wrestler. And he looked, that entrance gear in that match looked awesome. Every time I see him, I'm just like, man, this guy, this guy is going to be something. And they really, it'll be hard for them to mess it up. Uh, but yeah, that was my biggest takeaway. And he didn't even win the match. You know what my biggest takeaway was? Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. We're going to get Gunther and Moss bumping meat next week or this coming week, I should say, on SmackDown. And I'm really curious to see what this match is going to look like and how strong Gunther puts over Moss as a contender for the Intercontinental title. So I'm not saying it's some highlight match that's going to break my scale or anything like that. I mean, I expect it's going to be good and I think it's going to maybe exceed some of your expectations. But I'll tell you, as a fan of that kind of wrestling, with a tear in my eye, it's bringing a tear to my eye that we're getting Gunther and Moss in a big spotlight moment. Because don't forget, I may hate the name Madcap and I may never accept the name Madcap, but I have been a fan of Moss since NXT. By the way, there was also a digital exclusive of Escobar and Mysterio 
exchanging masks with Santos showing respect for Ray. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times already, a baby face turn for Legado del Fantasma on the main roster would be an incredible move. And them teaming up for WrestleMania, Ray and Santos potentially against Dom and Priest would make a lot of sense. Yes, it would. If you don't want to do the Dom-Ray match one-on-one at Mania, that would be a way to do it for sure. As Paul Heyman would say, maybe uh, Santos Escobar was the, the kid that Ray wish he had. There you go. Uh, Charlotte Flair was interviewed by Michael Cole on SmackDown and asked about her last Royal Rumble WrestleMania interaction with Rhea Ripley three years ago. Charlotte says she hopes Rhea is ready now because there's levels to this and it takes more than three years to reach her level. This was good enough to move the storyline forward with Ripley on vacation in Australia. We need them face to face like this coming week or maybe next week after Elimination Chamber. But we got to get them face to face and actually building this match because right now, either Ripley's not on TV or if she is, they're not talking to each other. And WrestleMania is five weeks away. Yes, Uh, I I get you. It seems very clear now that like we knew this, but like Rhea's going to beat Charlotte. And for WWE, that is your big moment, beating Charlotte. And so Charlotte's just kind of got to sit around and wait for that to happen. And that's the only reason she came back and got the title. Now, like now we know she came back to get the title just to lose it to Rhea. And so we just kind of sit around and wait while Rhea does much more interesting and fun and exciting stuff over on Raw. It's almost like that would have been a good idea to have her go for the Raw title. Well, what's weird about the entire thing is we've seen that Ronda Rousey, some of her best matches are against bigger women. Like Raquel Rodriguez is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. And you say, man, couldn't she get over just as well with Ronda Rousey? Now, it's pretty clear what the plans are for Rousey. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's just like this title change and putting it on Flair. And yeah, they want Flair having the title going into WrestleMania. So she's on the card and she's on the marquee. And yes, if Ripley beats her, she'll go over huge because she is beating Charlotte Flair as the most accomplished woman uh, in WWE. But it just, the match to me, yeah, there's a storyline. There is legitimately an ingrained storyline from three years ago, roles reversed. Like, it makes sense. Don't get me wrong. But for me, there's no passion or energy behind it. And that's what they're going to have to get to. And that's what we've yeah. been waiting for. So we'll see. It, 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 it's... It's hard to take re, you know, take them away from something that's really energetic and has a lot of heat, but this is the decision they made. On Raw, we had Judgment Day against Street Profits. Dominic Mysterio hysterically said he knows about being locked up, and because of that, he helped train Priest to get him ready for the inside so he can run the block in the chamber like Dom did in prison. He also said Ripley was still overseas promoting WrestleMania. It was great shit from Dom. The crowds chanted, we want mommy at the bell. Four men in the match, they're chanting for Ripley. Tells you all you need to know. The Prophets hit a toss backdrop and assisted flying blockbuster. Montez Ford hit a huge tope on Priest. Angela Dawkins got distracted by Dom. That let Balor hit all of his signatures plus a coup de gras for the win. Priest blindsided Ford after the bell when Edge came in and cleared the ring with Beth Phoenix hitting Dom with a lariat. Just as she was about to hit the glam slam, Rhea Ripley ran in from the crowd to catch Phoenix with Riptide to end the segment. Edge and Beth wrapped up Raw saying they're tired of feuding with Judgment Day and they are the grit couple and you shouldn't forget that. Even later, Balor bragged about beating them so often. Dom pointed out Edge, Phoenix, and his dad are way past their prime. Ripley said Flair is a full level below her and she'll prove that Saturday. Simple TV match, nice finish, and the right winners. The post-match was a really hot 
Go Home Build to the Mixed Tag, and the Judgment Day backstage promo to wrap up the entire thing I thought was excellent. Maybe the most confident they have been together as a group to this point. Not much else to say, just really well done with Balor and Ripley both coming out on top, which they needed to going into Elimination Chamber. It was good. This just furthered the take I had a week or two ago, which was that this should be Edge and Beth Phoenix against Rhea and Dominic. Dominic is the biggest foil in this. Like he's 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 getting the most heat when he gets beat up. Rhea's getting the most. You know, people are chanting for Rhea to be there. Like they are the thing. And I get Finn Balor's Finn Balor, but Dominic and Rhea like are the thing right now in this. And and so uh, Rhea, uh, by the way. Looked like a million bucks. Looks look, continues to look great. They the way she was like positioned in that post match promo afterward, just like showing her abs and stuff like that and whatever. And I have to call out uh, a call here from Corey Graves that may have gone under the radar a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they, they they beat up Beth Phoenix in the ring. Rhea rolls out, embraces with Dominic as they're walking off, and Corey Graves says. Dominic won't be the one wearing handcuffs tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Referencing both his brief stint in jail and also the fact that the next day, Tuesday, is Valentine's Day. So, And if someone's um, going to be using handcuffs in that relationship, it would be a year <laughs> So, yeah, really just a sneaky uh, S&M line there from Corey Graves. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving Judgment Day. I'm loving them as a group. It's one reason I don't want Rhea to go off and fight Charlotte because you probably won't have the Judgment Day around there. Some you'll have to get Dominic involved somehow. Like I don't know, but they're great. And like you said, this is probably like the best they've just felt together as a group, you know, since they've been doing this. Yeah, by far the most cohesive. Like they all have their mm-hmm. role. They're playing it perfectly. It's totally working. To counter your point quickly, and then we can move on. Dom's feud is Ray. Balor's feud is Edge. It makes no sense for Dom to be in the match because Dom's going to be ringside. So you're still going to get the heat from Dominic and Edge is still going to yeah. get to spear his ass at ringside. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong. But, you know, if, if Rhea's going off to Mania for her singles match, like we got to get a Dominic and Rhea tag team match at some point. It would be nice at some point if we got that. But not only am I not wrong, there's another word for that. It's called being right. Bronson Reed fought Mustafa Ali on Raw. The latest remix theme was for Ali. And given his old theme was such dog shit, this was actually an improvement. But he really needs a new theme, not just a remix. It's extremely generic. Anyway, Reed hit a running shoulder tackle off the apron. Then he caught Ali running off the apron himself, chucking him clean over the barricade into a desk chair in the timekeeper's area. It was a nasty shot. Uh, Mustafa countered into a tornado DDT inside for a one count but his rolling move through the ropes was met with a lariat before Reed hit Tsunami to yet another massive pop from the crowd for the move in the victory. The impact on the replay, seeing the ring shake the way it did, was insane. Good spot for Bronson to look dominant, and Ali losing was fine given his spot on the card right now. And now we have Dolph Ziggler, who can strike back at him saying, Ali, you got an opportunity finally and you blew it. As long as Ali ultimately goes over Ziggler, he can make some gains into the mid-card and losses like this to someone the size of Bronson Reed, not really a big deal. I I did not care about this at all. I, I don't care about Ali. Bronson Reed looked great. This was just whatever to me. I, 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 I don't want to say bad because it wasn't like bad, but I just, 
did not care <laughs> at all. This segment has so, rules, so you have to pick something. I yeah, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the light bad, just based on okay. booking and not necessarily the work. Okay, uh, you know what was weird though? Just before we move on, Johnny Gargano was the only person in the chamber match who was not on Raw, and it was especially weird because Candice LeRae was on the show. We saw Gargano obviously win his spot in there. I think we saw him backstage last week as well. So you know they were together. It was just odd to leave him out of the entire thing when everyone else was on the show. Maybe that means he's winning. Maybe it does. Uh, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, and Natalia fought Asuka, Nikki Cross, and Carmella. Cross giggled backstage, telling Mella she was hanging out with her friend. Suddenly, Asuka appeared in her new mask and face paint. That freaked Mella the hell out, so she ran away. They started like staring at each other and tilting their heads. So Candice LeRae comes in. She asks Nikki, why have you been stalking me? Cross stares at her obsessively, tries to touch her face, then runs away giggling. And the faces also kind of got contentious in Gorilla. But what they said was really nothing important. Asuka in the match got annoyed late and took out her partners before locking Liv in her new butterfly submission. After extended screaming, Morgan tapped out with Asuka looking like a total badass. Just like the men's match that we talked about, simple booking, nice finish, and the right person in Asuka coming out looking strong. Asuka is clearly being developed as a menacing ass kicker, which is what she always should have been in WWE. Liv had a hell of a sell on Asuka's new submission finisher, which isn't the arm bar and it's not the Asuka lock. It's just like this butterfly submission where she pins the arms backwards and Liv's sell put over the move as impactful. There was nothing special here. It was good. And everything that I'm seeing on television is telling me that a certain someone will be facing Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. Yes. I, I think the fact of the, 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 the people in that match, is also the other factor in that. Yes. Uh, that is the other factor. <laughs> th- th- this, this match was, uh, it was fine, whatever, but yes, Oscar looked great. That was the point. So I'll give it a, a, a light good for accomplishing what it needed to. Now, technically, this should have come after the next segment I'm going to talk about. I messed up the order. That's my bad. Doesn't matter. Uh, Sonya Deville complained to Pierce on SmackDown about not being in Elimination Chamber when Chelsea Green was looking for the SmackDown manager, wanting to file a complaint against the Raw manager. Pierce rolled his eyes, saying he's one and the same. And she said, well, I have facial amnesia, so too bad. Then he teamed them up as a couple complainers against two Chamber competitors. So we got Liv and Raquel against Deville and Green. Sonya accidentally hit Chelsea on the ring apron. Raquel got the hot tag, hit her signatures. Chelsea was reluctant to get in the ring with Raquel. She accidentally knocked Sonya off the apron. Then she ate a Tahana bomb and took oblivion from Liv, plus a teammate powerbomb with the faces getting the win. The finish was nicely done. It seemed like a little too much needed to beat Chelsea. I feel like she could have just hit the Tahana bomb. Raquel pinned her and it would have looked great. But the pacing of this match was atrocious, even though I did like the finish from an excitement standpoint. This gets a good because Liv and Raquel both looked great and they got cheered as baby faces ahead of a big match. They also showed some chemistry together as a team. And with Chelsea, the gimmick is starting to work. Some of the nuances of her backstage segment, like trying to rope in another customer, Sonia, to get her side as someone else being persecuted by the manager. Like, that's really smart. It seems to be getting over. We saw more of this on Raw where Chelsea complained more to Pierce and he just walked away. I -hmm. said last week she had to move beyond the I want to speak to the manager stuff. And it looks like they're definitely figuring out how to do that. So credit to Chelsea. She's becoming super entertaining. And again, going back to 
this match on SmackDown, I thought it was good. I just kept thinking that Chelsea and Pierce have really good chemistry backstage. Mm-hmm. Like if there's more to do with that, similar to how Sonya and, and Adam Pierce did as well. So uh, yeah, it's, it was good. It was, that bit was fine. The match was whatever. I'm kind of giving it a light bad again, just because I didn't really care, but it was fine. See, I don't, I mean, look, it's each our own, it's our own grades. I don't know that I give something bad because I don't. Well, it's hard care. because there's there's so much really good stuff that I'm so interested in right now, like a lot of it. And so when it's not when it's just like a whatever that might be a good back in the old days, it doesn't feel like a good now because the bar has been raised so high. And it's just the nature of sometimes segments are are just going to be like that at this time of year. It's a go I mean, home, if, if we had the choice, if we had the choice yeah. to rename this segment and not base it on something that's existed for dozens of years, <laughs> we could call it the good, the meh, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, but we don't really have that luxury, so we either have to change our rules or we have to come up with a different segment name. But you're right; there, there's probably of all the goods in a given week, the bottom quarter of them at least are, eh, you know, it wasn't bad, and that's okay. Not, not, not on a wrestling show; everything's going to be good or bad or ugly, mm-hmm. and uglies in WWE right now are really few and far between. Yes. But you're right; there's a lot of things that we give light goods or light bads to that are really just, meh, it happened. And that's yes. it. and we don't get we don't get many of those anymore like it used to be a ton of those and so it's now oh, yeah. they stand out more now when we get them for sure so going back to smackdown uh, natalia got solo promo time in the ring for the first time in who knows how long she talked shit to Shayna baszler over breaking her nose before bragging about stealing baszler's spot in elimination chamber and calling baszler a cheap knockoff of ronda rousey that led baszler out to a light knock off Ronda chant, but the crowd did chant it. And that was pretty surprising. Uh, Shayna pointed out how she started in MMA fighting and wrestling before Ronda and even got signed to WWE first. Just then, Rousey made her return to what I would call a medium pop. She stepped to Natalia when Shayna halted it with her arm. She stared down Rousey only to turn around and both attack Natty. Shotzi tried to make the save, but instead got easily dispatched before Baszler punt kicked Natalia's shoulder to end the segment. Now, Look, the booking here is crystal clear. Natty's shoulder injury is going to lead to an early chamber elimination. Gives her an excuse to lose in Montreal. Natty and Shotzi are going to lose to Rousey and Baszler as they get built up as a team before ultimately facing damage control at WrestleMania. Hopefully, it takes more than one team win for Rousey and Baszler to actually get that title shot. I'd like to see a gauntlet or a four-team tournament, something like that. It wouldn't be bad booking, all things considered, but I will be giving this segment a bad. Why? Well, Natty looked like shit before the chamber, the way they beat her in this. She stupidly in kayfabe put herself in danger before a major match. The reaction to Rousey was mediocre and no one cared about the segment because none of these women have been built as anything at all. And people are really tired of the only person who has been, which is Ronda. It wasn't ugly by any means, but it really was bad. This was the first time we saw Ronda since she lost to Charlotte, right? Lost the belt? Yeah. It, it, it's wild that we had a Ronda Rousey return and just nobody cared. Like, it, it, it's really kind At of a, a statement to just kind of w- where she is on this run. Um, you know, my 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 uh, one of my end of 2022 predictions was that 2023 would be Ronda's last year in WWE. Um, so, like... I actually thought the segment was fine. I actually am going to give it a light good because like something happened, something moved something forward. And 
We've got Ronda back in it. Ronda and Shayna in a tag team, I actually think I will like. So, like, that was nice to Me see. Too. And, and so, I, I'm actually giving this a like good. Ronda and Shayna in a tag team and winning the tag team titles off damage control, that's good booking. It's a mm-hmm. great way to help elevate the women's tag team division, which we've been talking about for a long time. But the problem is, if they just get, if they win this match on Friday and then just get a title shot, it's a huge eye roller. I want to see them actually go through some teams. I want to see teams be established. And just like we talked about earlier in the show with Ricochet and Braun Strowman, you can have sets of women who are going after individual gold, but when opportunities present themselves, they team up and go after the tag team titles and they're established as teams. And I think, you know, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, uh, Tegan Knox and Shotzi, like you can put some of these women together and it makes total sense for them to be teammates Candice LeRae, potentially an Indy Hartwell over on Raw, Nikki Cross and Asuka even as foes who become friends. That's something that could eventually be done. There's all these things that could make sense, but there's zero consistency in it. And that's the frustration with the women's tag team division. If putting the titles on Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler help that, I'm all for it. And also, I've wanted to see Rousey and Baszler team up since Ronda got into WWE And beyond that, I've wanted to see them fight each other since she got in WWE. So possibly, Chris, what could happen if you're right and this is her last year or, you know, last 15 months or however long in WWE, maybe they team up for an extended stretch and then maybe they're rivals and they fight at SummerSlam or next year's WrestleMania. That would be pretty cool. Agree. Uh, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus fought Hit Row on SmackDown. Sheamus hit like 15 beats on Top Dollar and White Noise on Ashanti the Adonis. As Sheamus prepared for the bro kick, McIntyre flew in for a claymore to stop top dollar interference with Sheamus hitting the brogue for the win. A Viking Raiders vignette narrated by Valhalla appeared on the Titantron after the bell, uh, speaking the banger bros names and saying next week is destiny, insinuating we'll get a rematch. The match was appropriately short given the drastic difference in talent in the ring. Michael Cole even had a really funny quip during this. I think uh, Wade Barrett said, why didn't they tag in top dollar? And Cole was like, well, they'd lose faster if Top Dollar was in the <laughs> ring, which was really freaking funny. Uh, the vignette, though, I thought was awkward as hell. It would be nice if the faces actually lose next week to put over the Raiders and end this completely unnecessary team and become at odds a bit before hopefully setting up a triple threat with Gunther. The Raiders do need a big win, so this would be a good spot for them to actually probably pin Sheamus two-on-one. Uh, somehow McIntyre gets taken out. I don't know how you do it but I'd put the Raiders over next week. All of this just kind of happened. So I'm going to take a page out of your book, Chris. Very light bad. I was going to say the same thing, where I, I want the Viking Raiders to win next week because if you got to have some kind of breakup of Sheamus and Drew to kind of get into that triple threat mindset that we both have booked to happen. So I thought this match was... It was a fresh matchup. It was like, it, it, it's nice to see like main event people with like mid low card people. Sometimes the Michael Cole top dollar feud. I'm very much enjoying. I, I was entertained by this. I, I'm giving it a good. Um, and now we go to the, the match next week where we kind of stuff that's been building for a month is finally going to happen. So here we go. I know most of our disagreements today have been a gray area, but is this the most we've ever disagreed in a good, bad and ugly segment? It might be. It might be. Yeah, I think it might be. And it's interesting because it's all just good and bad, like different sides of the gray of the gray line. So and it's, yeah, it's not, it's not stuff we're loving or hating. It's more just how we yeah. categorize it in our minds. Yes. Yeah, no, it's but it's it's interesting that we're a little bit different more so than we normally are. 
Uh, Meechin fought Piper Niven, speaking of her from earlier. Meechin hit a great uh, counter spike DDT early. Niven escaped, eat defeat, and hit a boss man slam, now called the Loch Ness Slam, for the win in a short match. I believe it was also Abyss's finisher, and Corey Graves referenced that uh, Piper was sending Meechin into the Abyss when she hit the finish. <laughs> that was really kind of cool. This was fine. I'd have preferred either three more minutes of wrestling or someone other than Meechin in this spot, including just a jobber, like a local enhancement talent. They set up the first feud last week, but they could have saved this for next week and let them have a real match, given it wasn't promoted Monday and it was allotted a short time slot. It's just my general belief that no legitimate competitor in a division should lose a match in less than five or six minutes barring some type of storyline reason. This should be a spot where like Aaliyah or Dana Brooke or a local talent gets squashed or beaten relatively easily. So I'm glad Piper got a win and I'm glad Meechin was on TV, but I didn't like how easily it came across. I'm going to say good here, mostly because there's a continued efforted build of Piper Niven. And that's what we've wanted ever since she was saddled with the shitty dewdrop name. So I'm going to go good here. But nine times out of 10, I would normally say that. I agree. I would have liked more, but I'm going good because it's a continuation of what I said last week, which is that Piper Niven is freaking awesome and mm-hmm. she be pushed to the moon. And like she you you talk about Braun Strowman, a mix of size and speed. She's the same way. Like she oh, can she's just incredible. do yeah. things that nobody else in that division can do. And if she's not going to be in an elimination chamber match, you got to build her up you know, to be the to the next thing at some point. So she should not be losing to Meechin basically ever pretty much. And so, no, but she also shouldn't beat her in three minutes. It should take right. five. I, I would have liked for it to get, yeah, I would have liked yeah. for it to get more time, but I'm still giving it a good. Don't forget Meechin was involved in a huge angle with AJ Styles, the good brothers in judgment day. So she was built as mm-hmm. a counterweight to Rhea Ripley. So you can't be having her lose to Piper Niven in three minutes. Like that, that's where my issue with the entire thing comes from. But Man, Piper is awesome, and it's great to see her like finally starting to get her due. And again, I said this previously. I'll say it one more time because we won't mention it again. She should have been in the Elimination Chamber match. If Bronson Reed can be in for the men and he can somehow take a fall, then she can be in for the women and somehow take a fall and not be not have it ruin her in any particular way. So she should have been in the match. Big missed opportunity. It's okay. They're still featuring her on TV, and that is a huge positive. L.A. Knight backstage refused to talk about Bray Wyatt or the pitch black match. He said he's focused on the future. And really, that was the entire promo. Literally, it lasted as long as me saying those two sentences. No grade. But Chris, I think it's fair to say continued frustration that nothing has happened with either of these guys since Royal Rumble. Yep. Not much to say other than I thought we would be getting a lot more L.A. Knight since then. Like he just felt Mm -hmm. like a guy who was clearly getting very, very over that you could just throw them out into something. But I don't know if they didn't have a plan for either of these guys or they're waiting until post-elimination chamber. But LA Knight's a guy you can throw into anything, and I'm I'm surprised we haven't gotten much of him. Just a simple two-week feud so we can get a win back and and get on TV Mm -hmm. and wrestle and cut promos in front of people. Yeah, very surprising. Uh, Otis was scarfing a Coney Island hot dog backstage when Chad Gable took it away from him and threw it. It wound up hitting Mansois in the face, mustard all over his glasses and his hair and stuff. Maxine Dupree said Otis would be the perfect model for their new campaign. And Gable said, I thought about modeling all the time when Maxine clarified that her card was for Otis and not Gable. 
it certainly works from a comedy aspect. And if Alpha Academy does eventually break up as much as I like them, it's probably better long-term for Gable, who would hopefully find some upward mobility. The segment is entertaining. The concept is entertaining. It's a good. It's a good. The the, max, the, the male models continue to do funny stuff on YouTube. It's a low-car thing, but uh, it's entertaining. They're, they're accomplishing what, what they want to do. It's a good. And lastly, before we get to the rest of the show, Lacey Evans fought someone named Carmen Harris or Harris. Uh, Lacey toyed with her food, hit a women's right, forced the jobber to salute her, and won via submission with the Cobra Clutch, which she refused to release right away after the bell. There may have been some piped-in booze here as well. They seemed pretty apparent. The crowd hardly cared, and neither did I. This was on the border, but I'm saying bad because, let's be honest, it's Lacey, and they're not doing anything to actually engender excitement for her. It's a bad, but like it doesn't have to be this bad. First off, I like her new theme, kind of a more rock version of the previous theme. But but secondly, mm-hmm. they haven't told her story really. Like they gave her the vignettes, but they didn't really tell her the story. Like it, when she's doing this, commentary needs to be giving me her her personality, her feelings on things. If she's not going to be giving promos, have commentary say. Lacey Evans thinks the women's division has gotten lazy and she thinks she needs to whip them into shape or, or, or she thinks that, that they're disrespecting her and her well, yeah, service. By, and, and because she's a Marine, by disrespecting her, you're disrespecting the country. Yeah. And she's not taking any prisoners. Yeah. Like, give me so like, tell me what, why she's doing this. And I think she's actually a decent promo and can do that. We've just, we haven't got, we got vignettes and we got some matches. Like, they need to tell us what her character motivation is. And we don't really have that. You know, one of the most appropriate recent teams in WWE was Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. And it's because they both suffer from like the same problems where Mm -hmm. they can get heat. And it really does seem like they both could be valuable members of their respective divisions. But because of the way they have been booked, Corbin overbooked and same thing over and over again. Lacey start and stop over and over again. Some, Some, you know, reasons because of real life, but also number of other issues with just the characters that she's had. They're both really in that same spot where like they do get heat when they're out there, but it's go away heat. It's not the type of heat that they really want. It's frustrating. Not the biggest Lacey Evans fan. I do like the repackaging, but if you're going to repackage someone and bring them back, then you got to give them things that are going to get them over as a heel. They're not doing that for her right now. I know this is a busy time. It's WrestleMania season, but if you don't have plans for her, you know, WrestleMania weekend, which really there shouldn't be, then maybe they should have waited to bring her back until after WrestleMania. Because right now she's taking up TV time that doesn't need to be taken up when there's a lot of other people that need that time on the road to WrestleMania 39. Before we move on to the rest of the show, the some of the segments here that got bads for me were women's segments. But I want to clarify, in case anyone put that together, none of them were notably poor or insulting or ugly. And we're still seeing, Chris, a much enhanced and improved presence for the women across both shows since the Royal Rumble. That's a huge positive heading into a WrestleMania where it looks like they might get four or five matches on the card. The segments that I said were bad were just bad given our limited grading options, but nothing was insulting or frustrating the way it was really a month ago and then certainly six and nine months ago under Vince McMahon. Yes, agree. Like the effort is being made to build that back up and it will take time. You know, we thought the rumble could be a reset and it was, and it, they're just, it's going to take some time. Okay, Chris, that brings us to the signature part of today's show, the 2023 WWE Elimination Chamber, 
Ultimate Preview. We have five matches on the card. We're going to discuss what happened on SmackDown and Raw for some of those matches, but we're going to break each of them down, provide you with a prediction, and then at the very end, we will give you our pre-show expectation grade for Elimination Chamber. There's a lot still left to talk about. We haven't even gotten to Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn along with Cody Rhodes. That's going to take a lot of time, so stay tuned. There's a lot more coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Let's kick things off with Edge and Beth Phoenix against Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. Now, as you all know, almost by rule, those who stand tall on the go-home show lose on the pay-per-view, and that would mean Balor and Ripley losing. There's a case to be made, Chris, for not beating Ripley as the Royal Rumble winner, given she's going to be going after the title at WrestleMania. And if I was booking the damn territory, I would have Rhea either pinning Beth after Riptide or even submitting her in the prism trap as the finish of the match. But the extenuating circumstance here is needing to build a WrestleMania match for Edge. And there is simply no clear opponent for him other than Balor. So my guess is Finn eats both finishers as the heel would need to, to be the one demanding and then eventually attacking Edge for one final match at WrestleMania. It would also be, if they go in that direction, a great opportunity for Balor to go over Edge on the biggest show and put him back in the main event picture where Balor belongs. They could even go Demon versus Brood Edge and reestablish the Demon after the debacle against Roman Reigns a couple years ago, the finish of that match. So that's a long way of me saying, I'm going to go with Edge and Beth here, even if it's not what I would book, as I would want Ripley as strong as possible, heading into Mania, especially going against Flair. Uh, that all makes sense. And like you said, we know how the go-home went. But I'm going to go with with what, what the other thing you said, which is Rhea pins Beth to win it. I, I think mm-hmm. she, they need, they're sending the rocket onto her and, and, and that's where it goes. Um, Edge Finn. I don't know, man. Like I'm not stoked by that, but whatever. Rhea is the bigger match. You know, it's going to bang though. You may not be excited. For no, it, I don't agree. Edge, Edge versus AJ Styles did not bang. Like I was there for it. I, I think we build up Edge as a better worker than he is. This is not a slight. He's 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 a he's a character. He's a brand. He's he's Edge. But in terms of like, oh man, I can't wait to see that Edge match. I've just I've never really been in that boat. So so when do you think his last great match was? Shoot, I don't know. I mean, like he was great in that WrestleMania with Daniel, with Daniel Bryan and and, and Roman Reigns. Um, yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, yeah. So like, like he fits when he's like when he's Edge doing when he's being Edge as opposed to like being you know worker or whatever. So. We'll get to that when we get to whatever Edge does at WrestleMania. He'll obviously have something, but I'm going to stick with Judgment Day. I'm going to stick with Rhea Ripley, and I know you know she won the the Rumble last time, but I think you just you ride her right now. She's so hot. You get her going, and off we go. All right, so one match down, and we already disagree. This is going to get interesting. <laughs> we have go. Brock Lesnar against Bobby Lashley. Let's first talk about what happened on Raw. We had a contract signing. Lesnar entered the ring first. He chucked the desk chair and cut off Pierce before Lashley's music hit. A dozen security guards lined the ramp before a separate table and chair was set up on stage. Bobby said Brock doesn't deserve to always get what he wants, and he'd only do it on his terms. Lashley said a team of lawyers, agents, and even his kids looked at the contract. 
and he wasn't sure if he would sign it. Fans loudly chanted, Bobby scared, to both of their delight. You could see them smile. They loved that they got the crowd into it. Lesnar grabbed the contract and started plowing through security when Lashley got up on him with a backdrop and then a spear on the ramp. Bobby signed the contract and dropped it on Brock's body. Now, going into Raw, I said this last week, I don't want this match on Chamber. And after Raw, I still don't want this match on Chamber. That said, the segment was fire. It was a really nice go-home build with a rare occasion in which Lesnar is truly outsmarted. Lashley has dominated this feud, and it feels like this probably should be the climax to it, which is why it should have been saved for WrestleMania. As mentioned, the only rationale for this to end at Chamber is if Lesnar is fighting Gunther at Mania, and then if he does that, there's really nothing for Lashley to do. The other booking is this getting extended to a fourth match at Mania, either with her business interference or a no contest, similar to what WWE did with Braun Strowman and Keith Lee a few years ago, or a referee stoppage like what we got with Lashley and Goldberg, if memory serves. Both would be plausible and acceptable if it gets to the blow-off match at Mania, which is where this belongs. Yeah, I... It's so weird because, like, they've put everything into this being the big one. Like, they did a contract signing, you know? Like, like you don't usually do a contract signing for a match that's not your blow-off match, you know? <laughs> like, how, like right. how do you top it from, from that point? So, it does feel like this could be the end. And if it is the end, uh, my pick is Brock uh, because Bobby's gotten over him the whole time. I actually would rather Bobby Lashley win because Bobby Lashley's around every week. but. You know, Brock rarely loses these matches. He lost. He, you know, he he got to look bad in the Rumble. This is the moment where Brock goes over and looks big. So, because Brock, if they are doing it again, I wouldn't be against it. And I do think we would get some sort of schmage finish where nobody wins. Now, the one thing I do love about this feud is Lesnar is a babyface, sure, mm-hmm. but Lashley isn't exactly a heel. He's just like this tweener who's. Mm-hmm really proud of himself for getting under Brock's skin the way he thinks no one else has, but obviously Roman Reigns has before. So the crowd still cheers for Lashley. They just don't cheer as loud for him as they do for Lesnar. So my prediction officially is a no contest of some kind, but okay. Can can we do that? Well, I think because I'm specifically predicting that finish with another match at WrestleMania, we can do that. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you where if we have to pick a winner, like a clear winner, it's Brock Lesnar. And you could even have Lesnar win with Bobby say, well, now we're one and one with a rumble elimination and this. So let's fight one more time. And, you know, they do it in the fight pit or something like that. I mean, Lesnar Lashley fight pit WrestleMania. I don't know how you get better than that, like for a blow off match. So it's not going to work in a stadium, though. Why not? Because you're going to be able to see most of it. They've done cage matches in Hell in a Cell's in stadiums. Yeah, but I just, I, I'm not a big I think, if it, I think if it works anywhere, it's a stadium. You can get even get Daniel Cormier in again as a special guest referee. And you, yeah. you can have the camera like right on top of the ring, over the ring. I think all those screens, for me, it works. I'm not saying we're getting fight pit at WrestleMania. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I want this to blow off at WrestleMania. And my prediction is how the hell do we get there? And the two ways are no contest which is my official prediction, uh, or Brock Lesnar, if it is where either someone has to come out on top or if they ultimately blow off the feud. But Chris, no matter what happens, we're going to get plenty of what we want to see. 
Big meaty man slapping meat. Absolutely. Also, that back body drop on the stage, that's like one of the one of the biggest bumps Brock has taken in a long time. You know, that doesn't involve a weapon. That jumped out to me. It was pretty gnarly. I do agree with that. By the way, as someone with a beard who has to trim his mustache, I tweeted this. I hope you guys saw the mm-hmm. picture. Brock went way, way too far trimming his mustache before Raw. Yes. Like, go look at that picture. It's like a perfectly aligned half moon shape around his lip. <laughs> it looked so damn odd. Please do not clip this and tell him I said that. I like my life and I want to keep living. So don't tell Brock that. Uh, But yeah, someone needs to teach him how to trim his mustache. Let's move to the first of two Elimination Chamber matches. The United States Championship on the line. Austin Theory defending inside the structure against Seth Rollins, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, and Montez Ford. This is a Raw-only match. So one note coming in. Gargano is back in Montreal after making his WWE return there on Raw months ago. So do not forget that. As far as the match, making a prediction, because we already broke down a lot of what happened on Raw, this is a tough one. Maybe one of the tougher matches on the card, if not the toughest match on the card. I don't see Theory winning both Elimination Chamber and a singles match against John Cena at WrestleMania, which... If he goes into Mania as United States champion, and there is something to be said for Theory, Cena, in a U.S. title match, the championship that Cena, you know, made famous in WWE slash, you know, elevated it, whatever you want to call it, it does fit if you're doing it. But I don't see Cena winning the title, even if he was going to drop it the next night on Raw. And I don't see them putting Theory over Cena when. Cena has so many years left to go as a Mania performer, and Theory is as young as he is. So all of that is to say, I have to believe a new champion coming out of this match is the plan. It's also a great way to kind of shroud Theory taking the loss, You know, him not being the last person to get pinned. He eats three or four finishers, gets taken out of the match. He's upset that he doesn't have a clear road to WrestleMania, calls out Cena, They have a match, however you get there. So that leaves us, if I eliminate theory, and whenever we do Royal Rumbles, Money in the Banks, Elimination Chamber breakdowns, I always believe the best way to make a prediction is process of elimination. So I'm eliminating theory. It doesn't seem like Ford's moment, Montez Ford, Gargano and Reed, they're not really established enough right now, both recently returning to WWE, neither has had a really deep storyline in which the fans are behind them. Montreal would pop for Gargano, that's true, but it doesn't feel like that's the direction they're going. And that leaves Rollins and Priest as the final two folks. I had been leaning Priest, but there's really no clear storyline for him. And the story of the match is Theory and Rollins. And the final segment that we got promoting the match on Raw was Theory and Rollins, of course, with Miz. We know Logan Paul is probably going to fight Rollins at WrestleMania makes a lot of sense. Logan already challenged for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. So why would you not also have him challenge for the US Championship, theoretically? I did not really expect this to be the pick that I was going to make in this match coming in. But as I'm talking it through with you, Chris, I'm going to go with Seth Rollins winning the United States Championship at Elimination Chamber. Yeah, as we as we prepared for this, I... I've just been thinking the whole time, 
theory is going to win. Nobody else really makes sense. Seth goes and fights Logan Paul. Like, there you go. But you are right of, like, John Cena winning the U.S. title wouldn't make sense. But Logan Paul winning the U.S. title is kind of the same situation. And so I'm not suggesting Logan would win the title, though. Right. Well, that's the other thing is that does Logan then lose? Because he lost to Roman Reigns, but at WrestleMania, does WWE want Logan Paul to lose a match? You know, to Seth Rollins, your like number two guy, number three guy. Yeah. Just I'm just saying, like they won last year, and we did not pick them to win. Miz and Logan Paul beat the Mysterios last year in something I don't think either of us predicted. So like. True. I don't know. There's there's like a lot of different factors floating around. Does Austin Theory retain and then beat Cena for the title to retain it at Mania? Like, like I just don't is, see that. You don't see Austin Theory winning? Like, I don't see how you have Theory. And I, I'm i a huge Austin Theory fan. I think the, mm-hmm. the ceiling is the roof for him, right? As mm-hmm. Michael Jordan would say. But I don't see how this guy, who's, who's doing a great job, and by the way, his promo, I didn't kind of give him his flowers, his promo standing over Rollins on Monday night was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't see how you have theory win elimination chamber, beat five other dudes to retain the title, then go into WrestleMania against John Cena, the quote unquote greatest superstar of this generation, or I think WWE even calls him the greatest of all time now. And then he beats John Cena the first time they ever fight when Cena is not retiring. Cena probably has another what, minimum five WrestleManias left, if not more. So it's way too early to beat Cena and it's way too early to give Theory a win over Cena. So then Cena's the United States champion and I guess he could show up on Raw and do an open challenge and someone surprises and beats him and it's a big deal, maybe. But then you say, well, why didn't you just have Theory beat him if you're gonna put this other person over? So I don't really know like how that makes any sense. I do think we're getting Theory and Cena I do believe it should be a non-title match. I always say Lesnar, uh, Cena, The Rock, you know, whoever comes back, Goldberg, they don't need championships involved in their matches. To me, it makes no sense to have the U.S. title on the line, except for the fact that John Cena is the most famous WWE United States champion of all time. And he would be the current one. That's the only tie that makes sense. That's that's the story. And Fury could cheat, I guess, and beat him, but that sucks too, like. It's tough. This is the hardest match to pick on the whole card, without a doubt. And I guess that, that I brings a lot more interest in, into a match that I maybe wasn't interested in otherwise. Like, I could see Montez Ford winning this, and they just kind of speed up the, not breakup, but Montez doing his own thing. But then again, hey, if Montez wins the U.S. title, you kind of want that to happen at Mania, you know, like like in, in some big ladder match or something like that. So that's why Mania just floats And who would even challenge this. him, you know, like... Well, I'm saying it would be like a six-man ladder match or something at Mania. But if he's already won the belt, you know, at Elimination Chamber, does do you not need to do that at Mania? You know, like, like so that's what the start. I, I am, ultimately, we got to make a pick. I'm going to say... Well, you got to make a pick. I already made one, so... It's on yes, you. so I'm going to say <laughs> Seth Rollins as well. Ah, you're right in the coattails. It's okay. It's fine. I'll take it. I guess, like... It's tough. It's tough. You can admit I laid out a case that made a lot of sense. That's fine. We're allowed to do a little. I Barry. think there's a lot. It'd normally, of be Barry Horowitz if we were doing it to ourselves, but we're allowed to mm-hmm. pat each other on the back. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had the Raw Women's Number One Contendership also being decided 
inside Elimination Chamber. Asuka, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, Nikki Cross, Natalia, and Carmella all involved here. Now, we've already broken down what happened across Raw and SmackDown regarding this match, which means, Chris, just time for us to make a prediction. And just like with the men, we are going to do process of elimination here. Now, I'm going to cross some names off, and you tell me if you disagree. These three women will not win the match. Nikki Cross, Natalia, Carmella. No. Okay. So that, to me, leaves a final three in terms of those who might legitimately take it and go on to face Bel Air as Asuka, Liv Morgan, and Raquel Rodriguez. The way I break these three down is as follows. Raquel clearly has a legitimate future atop the women's division on the WWE main roster, but she is nowhere near established enough as a personality to go into a WrestleMania main event level just because it's one of the two main women's championships title match against one of the most popular women in the company who has dominated over the last two years, of course, in Bianca Belair. Then you have Liv Morgan, who I really give a lot of credit to this character change coming out of losing that championship, along with the momentum she has from winning Money in the Bank and, of course, winning, uh, I think it was the SmackDown Women's Championship. She is over like Rover. I'm not saying she's necessarily as over as Becky Lynch is, or Bianca Belair, but she's right underneath them as one of the most popular women in WWE right now. I give her a lot of credit. I love the gimmick that she's doing. I like her booking with a little more uh, extreme aspects to the entire thing, the never say die type of attitude. It is all working. I do think Bianca Belair and Liv Morgan would put on a damn good match at WrestleMania. And I do think Liv Morgan is deserving of an opportunity like that. However, what we have seen from Asuka since returning to WWE is a refreshed gimmick, a refreshed entrance theme, the face paint, the mask, the backstage suits. And what we've seen from her in the ring over the last couple of weeks is a return to that dominant ass-kicking woman that we came to know and love in NXT. And many of you who know Asuka uh, from Japan, from you know what she used to do overseas. For me, uh, it was all fresh for me in NXT, what she could be and what she is. I think they've spent the last few weeks reestablishing her as dominant. They put her in the heel team on Raw Monday night to establish that she is not a good person and she would be a heel foil to Bianca Belair. I do think there's some risk of Asuka getting cheered against Belair because everyone does love Asuka and they want her to win. But out of all of the women in this match, the only one who could really believably beat someone as dominant as Bianca Belair is Asuka. Not only do I think Asuka wins Elimination Chamber in a great moment for her, I think she ultimately goes on to beat Bianca Belair for the title at WrestleMania. That's another prediction we can make another day. Here, Chris, I am picking Asuka to win the Chamber. Look, you you just said a whole lot of words, and I could have just saved you the time by saying the names (laughs) I'm crossing out as having no chance in this match are Nikki Cross, Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia, Carmella, Liv Morgan. Nobody has a chance. (laughs) Asuka's winning this match. It's like as plain as day, and that's not a diss to any of them. Asuka is just freaking Asuka. She came back. She looks great. She's primed for the matchup with Bianca Belair. It's the only person on this uh, spot who is who is uh, ready-made for that spot. Asuka's going to win. Yeah, I, I, yeah, there's not much more to say. You said it all. Asuka's winning this match, without a doubt. 
Oscar or Bel Air at WrestleMania? Who wins? Real quick, we'll do a final prediction in a month, but who wins? Oscar. She gets her 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 uh, her retribution for what happened to her at WrestleMania 32, just like Rhea gets hers for what happened to her against Charlotte as well at WrestleMania 36. One thing I am noticing on this build to WrestleMania as we talk about what our projected cards might look like and who may win titles, every single title that has a match that we're projecting to be on that card, I have the title changing hands as of right now. And I don't think that's ever been the case at WrestleMania, or at least not in modern day with the number of titles that WWE has. Someone's going to be retaining. And I'm a little concerned it might be Bianca Belair in this spot, but we will talk about that as a conversation for another day and another time. Chris, that brings us to what will surely be the main event of WWE Elimination Chamber, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship on the line, Roman Reigns defending against Sami Zayn. Now we are going to break down the match and our predicted finishes for the match, because I'm guessing we agree on who's ultimately going to win. But before we get to that, we have a whole hell of a lot to discuss from SmackDown and Raw. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it on SmackDown. Paul Heyman opened the show saying Roman was under a two-pronged attack. Sammy was not in attendance and Cody Rhodes was wrong about the titles being wrestling championships. Rather, Paul said, they were the key to the island of relevancy and the Samoan legacy. After Heyman said that without the titles, there was no reigns, Zayn appeared behind him in a black hoodie. To his surprise, Sammy held out his hand for the mic with a tongue in his cheek, because obviously that's what Roman does. He explained how the bloodline is now cracked, the walls are closing in, and Reigns' days are numbered. Zayn pondered whether Jimmy Uso would side with his abusive cousin or his twin brother if push came to shove. Then he questioned Solo Sokoa and even Heyman's own allegiance. Paul held out his hand for the mic when Sammy instead dragged him close with a hug and said to Paul, Roman doesn't need to worry about Cody because he, Sammy, will take him down. Now, as great as Heyman's segment with Rhodes came across last Monday, and it was legitimately great, this, to me, fell a little flat. It's the first time Sammy's character lacked a level of believability. And beyond that, I thought it was another wasted opportunity for Sammy to tell his story. All we had gotten as of Friday were two angry promos about the title. I wanted Sammy explaining the emotional turmoil that he experienced, why he attacked Roman. What was the ultimate decision there? Maybe even making a plea in the moment for Jay to stay away. Now, maybe this was on purpose, I thought, in the moment to cool him off a little bit and protect the WrestleMania main event. As we learned Monday, that was not the case. But while I did like the segment and I appreciated the effort and the work of Sammy and Paul Heyman, to me, it left a lot to be desired from the standpoint of Sammy connecting with the crowd and sharing his motivation, reasoning, and mindset for ultimately turning on Roman Reigns. And I just want to be clear, I'm being consistent about this. I wanted it last week and I wanted it the week before as well. No, I, I completely agree. Like I, I came out of that SmackDown segment being like, all right, like that was it. Like that was kind of a letdown. And it felt like they wanted to do the exact same Cody segment and see if Sammy can do it. And Sammy couldn't do it. And then I was like, oh no, like it, it feels like they gave Sammy the ball here and he dropped it. Like that's just it kind of what I thought mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, and so, yeah, I like uh, not, not that good in the moment, but there was more to come. There was. So backstage after the tag team title match that, of course, we broke down earlier, 
Jimmy said it's been hell without his brother. He asked if Jay was in or out of the bloodline, and Jay said, I don't know yet. Heyman was peeking from behind a column backstage. Then he came up when Jay walked away and asked Jimmy if Jay said anything, to which Jimmy said, no, he just left. Jay then ran into Sammy in the loading dock. Zayn reminded Jay that Reigns will not forget he walked out at the Rumble, though he, Sammy, appreciated that he did so personally. Sammy said he didn't know how he would do it, but Roman was eight days away from going down. There was, though, a way out for Jay. Sammy said, no matter what happens, win or lose, I acknowledge you. Then he raised his fist for a bump. Jay hesitated, but he eventually lifted his own fist and they bumped fists. At the end of the show, Paul sneakily approached Jimmy in the locker room, saying Roman is proud of him and clearly Jay is loyal to him. Heyman said Reigns wants the Usos to stay home from the chamber because sometimes you see things on TV that you don't see live, clearly insinuating he was privy to the Usos conversation and possibly even Jay's interaction with Sammy. Now, I may not have liked the opening segment, but the rest of the booking Friday was nails. Jimmy not sharing that Jay was noncommittal was obviously a problem, not to mention him being unaware that Jay appeared to be swayed by Sammy's convincing and loading dock. Plus, WWE again did what we talked about two weeks ago. They closed a plot hole by noting that Heyman and Reigns saw what happened because cameras were rolling. That's now canon, and it's refreshing to see that get addressed. Then we got a really reasonable storyline excuse for Jimmy to not appear in Canada given he's supposedly barred from the country for his latest DUI. Though there's a report out there, and it's not really a spoiler or anything, there's a report out there that the Usos are both, Jimmy and Jay, cleared to go to Canada. So this excuse of them not being there was either to play into the IWC, knowing that Jimmy wasn't there recently when they went to Canada, or it's storyline driven and they actually won't be there. So we don't exactly know what's going to happen. Now, we're going to go over all this if Jay gets involved, if Jimmy gets involved in our predictions a little bit later in this segment. But this here, what we got on SmackDown was perfectly executed. And it was nice to see Sammy fill in some of those emotional blanks that we've still yet to hear him fully convey in front of the crowd. But we did get to hear it against Jay. Maybe the Border Patrol just have been watching the storyline and they've realized, wait, the Usos can't come to Canada. We got to change it this time. This time we got to let the Usos in. Maybe the story. <laughs> Trudeau is all so, over it from what I understand. Yeah. As, as bad as I didn't like the Sammy in-ring segment, this was the complete opposite. And this was so <laughs> this was such great character work because he Sammy was suddenly like so confident. He 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 came across as like a rebel who suddenly feels like they're going to take down the machine. They're going to take down the dictator. Like, like, like we've started a rebellion. Come join us. We're going to do it. Like, like the momentum's coming. Come join me. Come join me. We're going to mm-hmm. do this. We're going to do this. And that he was basically going to get out over his skis. He was going to become too confident. Like that was my thought. I thought he he had talked himself into it. He, he, he heard what everybody was saying about how great he is. And suddenly he's too confident and, and he's, he's going to get caught. That's, that was my thought coming out of, Smackdown based on where mm-hmm. Sammy was. Also, by the way, I mentioned, I texted this to you. There is a WWE video on the YouTube channel that is the entire, every single segment with Sammy and the Bloodline from last May, I think it started, up until the Royal Rumble. It's like an hour long. It has. Is it a almost, playlist or is it a single video? 
I thought it was a playlist. It's a single video. Wow. And it has it has almost two million views. Not to say everybody watched the whole thing, but like I clicked on parts of it and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. Like just kind of remembering how we got here. It's worth maybe not sitting through the whole thing, but like that's it's it's pretty impressive that they put up an hour long video like that and get two million views. That may be valuable for us if, you know, as this road to WrestleMania progresses, if we want to do a special show, like a retrospective of the bloodline storyline going into, you know, the ultimate match, you know, Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. If we want to do a special episode or Sami Zayn, theoretically, (laughs) um, if we want to do a special episode, we could potentially go through that, pick out some key moments and do a 30 to 60 minute uh, getting over special. If you all, the getting overheads want that tweet us and DM us, give us that thumbs up and we will consider doing it. But Chris, we are not even at the stage of predicting this main event match yet, because we have to talk about what happened Monday night on raw because Sami Zayn surprised at the top of hour two by running in from the crowd. Once again, in his black hoodie and calling out none other than Cody Rhodes. Sammy recalled Cody saying last week, that it looked like the momentum was toward them fighting at WrestleMania, not Reigns. Zayn asked Rhodes to tell him if that was all lip service or if Cody actually believed that Sammy could beat Roman. Cody said he meant it and believed it, and we got a really loud this is awesome chant from the crowd, but he said all that mattered was whether Sammy believed it. Fans did the Olay chant as Zayn admitted he wasn't sure. Sammy said he had doubts because He had been in the bloodline. He knows Roman always finds a way. And he believes Reigns being in God mode isn't just a saying. He believes it's legitimate. Sammy also said he believes he can beat Roman, become champion, and even main event WrestleMania. But he doesn't know he can do it. Rhodes pointed out that the Brooklyn crowd and Zayn's hometown crowd of Montreal on Saturday both know he can do it. And he said Sammy has cracked the bloodline in a way no one else has been able to do to this point. Cody said Roman is not a god. He's a man. And while Cody intends to finish his story at WrestleMania by winning the title, Sammy must finish his story in Montreal. Rhodes finished by saying he didn't want to see Zayn on Raw next Monday because he'd rather see him at WrestleMania. And then Sammy threw his hood on. He dipped out and he kind of looked at Cody from the crowd. Holy Fuck this segment, Chris. Okay. I never, and I mean never, thought WWE would have the utter cojones to put these two in the ring together, considering the potential consequences of Mm -hmm. fans possibly choosing one side or the other. Not only did Triple H drop his sack on the table and go for it in Brooklyn, of all places. They knocked it out of the damn park. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. This was brilliant booking for a couple super over, ultra white meat baby faces. You have Sammy, the underdog, completely doubting himself, only for Cody, the favorite, to respond by trying his damnedest to boost Sammy's confidence because he wants the face to beat the heel just like the fans do. Now, however Sammy gets screwed or defeated Saturday, it's not going to be lip service when Cody trashes Roman in a promo, because Rhodes has primarily been focused on the title. 
not the title holder. And beyond the family stuff and the Heyman stuff, now Cody is in position to not just fight for the title, but to fight for Sammy and for the fans beyond himself and his father's legacy. We also have Sammy and even Kevin Owens, who will now see Cody as like a kindred spirit who, through his complete belief and intense motivation of Sammy, perhaps gets them on his side at WrestleMania in a key moment when assistance may be needed against the bloodline. I've talked about that multiple times on the podcast. Beyond all of that, Chris, Cody can give Sammy credit for winning the war by splitting the bloodline, even if he actually does lose the battle in the match itself Saturday. It's absolutely brilliant booking and storytelling, continuing both of their individual stories while relating them to each other and giving them a moment together in the ring. Somehow, some way, Cody and Sammy both left Raw even more over than they were entering it, and Roman, despite not being on TV all week, was put over immensely by Sammy, who spoke as a peer in awe of Reigns' complete dominance of the entire company over the last few years. Just when I thought Cody and Paul Heyman could not be topped last week, they nearly equated it seven days later. This was outstanding, and Brooklyn the crowd deserves a ton of credit for setting this segment on fire. I have to start with how this whole thing started, and that is, so we get the opening segment of Raw, and then they're like, here's all the stuff coming up on the show. And I know I watched it, and I'm like, wait a minute. No Cody, no Sammy, no Usos, no Bloodline, no nothing. Like you're not you're not even gonna like, hey, we got something coming up with the Usos later. Like with nothing. And so then when we're getting that Corbin interview and they go, Sammy Zane, wait, Sammy Zane's in the ring right now. We gotta go to the ring. And you're like, oh, okay. This is how they're gonna get us to the, the, the segment that I was waiting that we were gonna get. All right, cool. Sammy, Sam, Sammy's gonna do his thing. Like, here we go. And then when he says Cody's name, it was like a gasp from the crowd. Like they couldn't believe like, oh, we're lean. Oh, we're doing this. We're leaning into this. We're we're going to we're going to face head on this conversation that we're all having as fans. They're about to do that in the ring. And like and again, it was the same reaction I just had. Holy shit. I never thought they would actually do this. They'd have the balls to actually do this. Yeah. And so you laid all everything out that happened. Like it all made sense. People like Cody. And and, and so like they don't want to boo Cody. They don't want to pick Sami Zayn and boo Cody Rhodes. They like both of these people, especially again, as I've said, this is not a 2013-14 WWE type of crowd. It's it's a different type of crowd now, even in Brooklyn. But you got to like respect them a bit. And that's what they did by by doing the set on. You could have made it really corny. You could have made it like Cody's like, yeah, I believe in you, Sammy. You can do it. Yeah, you're going to do it. And we're just not going to take it seriously. And we're going to move on with the real story at some point, you know, but 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 they didn't. They told he, Cody told both of these stories. He's like, you've done this. You need to finish your, your story here in Montreal. I hope you do it. Whether or not you win, I'm going to Mania. Like, deal with it. But good luck to you, man. I think you can do it. Like, when you treat the viewers with respect, even if there's some people who don't like what you're doing and would prefer something over something else, acknowledging that and playing into that works. And so that sets up the big Sammy Roman match. Like you want it to be Sammy Roman? All right, we're giving you Sammy Roman and we're doing it in Montreal. Like we're not shortchanging you here. We're going to give you the big match and moment that you want, even if it's not at Mania. As for how that plays out, 
We'll get into that in a second. But this was an absolutely perfect segment. It's so rare to have a babyface, babyface thing like that. But man, like, again, just leaning into everything, what people are saying, what people are feeling, that's storytelling. Like, you have to play with emotions a bit and not just be stubborn and do something they don't like or, or play tricks or whatever. Like, this segment was showing respect to the audience and the story being told, and everybody can get behind that. We're going to ultimately have to do an in-ring segment meaty in next year's awards, the 2023 Getting Over Awards, which only happened to be about 10 months away. Uh, but these two will be finalists, the Paul Heyman-Cody segment and the Cody-Sammy Zayn segment. And I really struggled to choose between them because the one that we got last week with Heyman, the emotions were so thick. And they drew a lot of things out of me that I didn't think that they were going to. This was a pure, holy shit, I can't believe they're actually doing this. Mm -hmm. And both of those have their merits. They really do. D you know, at first blush, watching this uh, last night, again today, I watched it twice. I saw the Heyman Cody thing three or four times already. Do you have one that you think is clearly better than the other, or are you in the same position that I am? I liked this one more, but it's kind of because it was more meta. Like it was, it was, again, it, it was more of a surprise. Like you get Cody and Paul in the ring. All right, like we're going to, we're going to do some stuff here. I did not see that coming from Cody and Sammy when they started. So like it, it, it was more surprising. Uh, the, the highs That's and lows, point. I think were the highs and lows were, were, were bigger, not lows, but like bringing you up, pulling you back down type of stuff. Ebbs and flows. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just, it, it, it came out of nowhere in a way that um, was something we just don't ever kind of get. Cody and Sammy, this is not a promo that's going to be put in the video package. You know, like the Paul Heyman stuff was. That's why it was so abnormal and unusual for them. And that's why I loved it so much. What was crazy about this for me, and we'll move on here, but there was a moment uh, right in the middle where Cody's like cutting his promo. And he's like, Sammy, I believe in you. I think you can do it. I know you can do it, whatever. And then he says, but. And I go, oh, no, <laughs> here's where this thing gets ruined and they get at odds and the fans choose a side. Mm -hmm. The crowd starts chanting either you can do it or this is awesome. I forgot what the chant was. They chanted, then, you can do it. No, you can't. There, there were people. There's a very small. Yeah, yeah. Chanting, no, you can't. It was like it was like five percent of the crowd was chanting. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. Um, but you're right. That was the chant in the moment. And the butt from Cody lingered. I was like, oh, my God, what's the butt? Like, is this about to get ruined? Or are we about to get booze? Like, this is a, this could be a disaster right now. He goes, but what really matters is whether you believe you can do it. I was like, oh, they fucking got me. They <laughs> boomed me right in that moment. Um, this was great, Chris. I could honestly talk about this segment on its own for another 20 minutes. There were shades of The Rock and McFoley there that we could explore. But we need to get to our match prediction here. And really, more than a match prediction, a booking prediction. Here's mine, and it doesn't change from what I have said numerous times over the last month, month and a half. Solo interferes with Sammy. Kevin Owens returns to a massive pop in Montreal. There's a reason why he hasn't been on TV. But beyond selling the beating that he took, of course, from Roman Reigns and the Bloodline, they're saving his return pop for Montreal. He takes out Solo while interfering with Roman. Just as Reigns and Zayn are in a crucial moment, 
Jay runs in with the expectation he's going to help Sammy. They bumped fist, after all, Friday night on SmackDown. Only to break down emotionally, maybe Roman and Sammy are both on their knees looking up at him, asking him to pick one or the other. And Jay ultimately sides with Roman after three years of gaslighting and abuse. And he takes the family over the friendship. He costs Sammy the title. He's in his own head. He's maybe even crying to himself. And that ultimately leads to the tag team title match that we've long been predicting at WrestleMania. I've seen people, Chris, say it makes no sense for Jay to turn on Sammy. I contend that that's such a generalization of the situation that it's not doing it justice. The context is being missed. He would not be turning on Sammy. He would be reluctantly siding with his family over a friend. That's an important distinction because it's believable as opposed to the idea that he's been playing Sammy this entire time. Now, is the booking that I'm putting forward here predictable? Of course it is. But as we know, sometimes predictable things are good. I need to find that sound drop and bring it back to the show. It should be an extremely hot moment of the show. And Chris, for me, it makes by far the most sense continuing the road to WrestleMania for Roman Reigns, who then gets to move past Sammy and continuing it for the Usos, Sammy and KO. You could even have Jay hug Sammy after Zayn and KO win the tag team titles as a show of respect. And then once the bloodline is without any championships anymore, he can turn on Roman and they can have their blow off feud. For me, it all starts here at Chamber. It really needs to go down, I think, this way. And I do believe it will. Of course, Roman Reigns retaining the title, Jay Uso choosing family, family reluctantly over friendship. My prediction is very similar, but I'm going to start with the entrance. And that is, does Cody, or does Sami Zayn come out to the old Worlds Apart NXT theme and old WWE theme he had? Man, he could come out to that. I don't know the name of this song, but the Olay song he could also come out to if WWE licensed the rights. It does feel like he needs to come out to one of those two and not his current theme. It feels like it has to be that old face theme. The, cur- the current one does not work. However, I'm not, I, I think on Apple Music, it is a CFO's song. And WW has not gone back to those. They've, so uh, they're allowed to they're allowed to use them. It's just that there's a licensing fee that they don't right. want to pay. But they pay licensing right. fees all the time. And for a one-off, it's not a big deal. Chris, the resolution here may be very similar to what they did with Drew McIntyre at Clash at the Castle, where they played his old theme in the video mm-hmm. package leading into his entrance to the match. The problem is his current and his current entrance, the 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 rock, whatever it's the rock music. It sucks. It's terrible. It's completely forgettable. <laughs> that world's apart theme with the horns blaring like that is big moment music. You have to it use is. that. You can use it. It has to be used if he wins at WrestleMania, whatever match he has. But it feels like with this crowd, with that song, you're going to have fans chant singing along with it. Oh, like they're going to be into it. I feel like you got to go with that song. It'll get everybody extra hyped as he does his entrance. As I, I appreciate that I went yeah. in depth on my booking the damn territory and we just spent five minutes on the entrance theme, but it was entrance a legitimate themes, conversation topic. Yes. I'm giving you credit for it. Yeah. Entrance themes are very important to me. The, <laughs> the, the match. Yes. I'm similar to you, except Roman wins clean. He has to win clean. 
Because if he doesn't okay. win clean, you're going to have everybody saying they should do a triple threat. And you don't want to open that up. And Sami Zayn, as much as we love him, Sami Zayn doesn't even think he can beat Roman Reigns. We don't think he can beat Roman Reigns. He shouldn't. He's not going to beat Roman Reigns. Can I give so you Roman, a 30 second yeah. timeout before we yes. continue? Um, I agree with the sentiment being Roman didn't really beat Sammy, so Sammy should get another shot. Like that is something that theoretically could happen, but that's happened with other people. It happened with Seth Rollins, it happened with Kevin Owens, et cetera, et cetera, Drew, over Drew the course of this plane. If Sammy Zayn comes out Monday night on Raw, the next night, or even the next Friday on SmackDown, and it's like, Jay, you broke my heart. I can't believe you did this after well, all I did for you, after I yeah. proved my loyalty, after I acknowledged you. You made a huge mistake, and Kevin and I, we're coming after your tag team titles. We're ending your historic reign. I think that saves it. I don't think Roman has to win clean. I think Roman has to win clean. I think he will win clean. And okay. after that, you get maybe so, maybe only Solo's ringside or something. They start beating him up. The use, uh, they start beating him down just like they were doing to Kevin Owens. The Usos come out. Jimmy starts doing, starts beating up on Sammy. Jay's uncertain. He's in that same situation he was last time, whether or not he should attack Sammy Zayn, just like he was at the Rumble. This time he does it. This time he hits him with a chair. He kicks him. They start getting him. All the crowds booing. The crowds booing. Kevin Owens comes out. Big cheer. Clears the ring. Hits a couple stunners. Saves Sammy Zayn, and we go off the air. And then so Monday night we open with Sammy and Kevin in the ring talking about their whole situation. And they do that. The Usos come out. Maybe Roman comes out the next night uh, and say, hey, I've got a friend. We're going for your your tag team titles. Like, I, I think so. It's basically the same thing as you said. But I just think Roman has to win clean because they're not doing a triple threat at WrestleMania. They're giving Sammy his match. They're going they're to give Sammy his match. Well, they're going to give him his moment. And he's going to straight up just lose. And that's OK. That is okay. I agree. And I, I did kind of appreciate, I'll do a little Barry Horowitz. I, I need to find some type of Barry Horowitz sound drop so that when we, when we give ourselves credit, that mm -hmm. we can play it. Uh, but I did say on this podcast, um, I think it was at Royal Rumble Instant Analysis, maybe the WWE show immediately after it, that, and it may have been even the ultimate preview going into the Royal Rumble, um, Sami Zayn's moment has never been WrestleMania. It's been yes. Montreal in his front of his home crowd. And oh. Cody repeated that in that go home promo this Monday night, Sammy, this is your moment. My moment is at WrestleMania. And I loved that Cody put it out there and kind of told the crowd, this is accurate. Like this idea that Sammy needs to main event WrestleMania to get his moment against Roman Reigns. It's not true. His moment just needs to be whenever it is. And the fact that he's getting it in his hometown, I mean, this guy grew up like, I think, eight minutes from Montreal. Maybe it was 20. Kevin's a little further away, but they're both suburbs of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. This is way bigger for him than, I get it, WrestleMania is WrestleMania, main event of WrestleMania is the main event of WrestleMania. But if you ain't winning the title, better to lose it in a situation like this than in a situation like that if you are Sami Zayn. Similarly, Cody said, finish your story. And I said mm -hmm. this. Before the Rumble, I'm going to pat myself on the back as well. I said this late 2022. Sami Zayn's story is not winning the WWE Championship. Sami's story is gaining friendship again. And as I went back and watched, yeah. And as I as I went back and watched that um, 
hour-long Sami Zayn video. You had Kevin Owens telling Sami Zayn like in like May that the bloodline is not your family. You're never going to be a part of that. And Sami's like, no, yes, I am. Yes, I am. They like me. They like me. And so that is the whole story coming back around. Sami Zayn finding friendship again from a real friend and not the people he was trying to impress the whole time. That is Kevin Owens. That is winning the tag team championships. That is ultimately more meaningful for what Sami Zayn's story was, not mm-hmm. winning the WWE championship. Well, Sami's entire arc was finding himself again, because what you have mm-hmm. to remember is when he first decided that he wanted to align himself with the bloodline, he felt he was at the bottom of his career. He had lost the Intercontinental Championship. He had the conspiracy theory whole deal going on. And he, he was lost like, to Johnny Knoxville a, at WrestleMania. Lost to Johnny Knoxville at WrestleMania. And he's like, I'm irrelevant. I'm at the bottom of my career. These guys, the bloodline, Roman Reigns, they are dominating this company. They're dominating this industry. I got to get back in with them or get in with them for the first time. And that's going to raise my profile. It's going to get me back to relevance. And that's exactly what actually happened here. Now, I know that's not the end of the story to say now he's relevant again. That's not really exciting. But you're right. When you mix that with the friendship element, and they have been telling that Kevin Owens doubting that they're good for him story. I know better than you. I'm your real friend. They're not, even if we're at odds with each other occasionally. Having them rekindle their friendship with Sammy, turning on Roman Reigns for Kevin, and them ultimately winning the titles as a tag team, which is something that has not happened in WWE. I'm going to assume it happened on the independents, but I don't know that it did. I'm going to assume it did. But for it to happen in WWE for the first time, potentially even in the night one main event of WrestleMania or the opening match of night two, perhaps, or something like that, that is a massive freaking moment for both Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, two legitimate great friends. So you're right. And I'm right. The moment is Montreal. The end of his story is the friendship. And it seems to have been for a long time winning the tag team titles as a sign of that friendship rekindling. Whereas with Cody, the moment and the goal has always been winning the championship. His father was not able to ideally in the main event at WrestleMania. And right now we're on track for both of those things to happen. It should not be any more complicated than that, Chris. But there are technically two other outcomes that are possible. I view both of them as extreme long shots, but I do want to briefly discuss them before we wrap things up. I also have one more take on this match. Then we'll get to the last word. We'll wrap up the show. The first is Jay doing the opposite of what I suggested, costing Roman the title. Sammy would become champion. Drop the title to Cody at WrestleMania with Roman fighting Jay at Mania. That actually does work in theory because you could push off Reigns and Rhodes until WrestleMania 40. But Roman Jay would probably have to main event WrestleMania without the championship on the line. And if you're going to crown Cody, it doesn't make sense not to do it in the main event of WrestleMania. That has to be last on night two. The other option is... Sammy sliding into the Mania main event in a triple threat match. But if we do that, then we're replaying WrestleMania 35 with the women to some degree. And Reigns, you have him. He has never entered Mania as world champion and defended the title in a singles match. It's never happened. We just saw a triple threat in 2021. To me, there is zero need to do a triple threat given the way they have already executed the storyline to this point. Cody, Sammy, it's fun to think about. They had a great moment on Monday night. It pales in comparison. And a triple threat is far less exciting than Roman Reigns of the Samoan dynasty. 
Cody Rhodes of the Rhodes family for all the marbles in the main event of the biggest show of the year. Yes, I, man, like if I was in Montreal right now, like of all the shows, like I almost would, if I could pick, part of me is like, I'd almost rather go to Elimination Chamber than WrestleMania just because that crowd is going to be ridiculous. I'm pulling up SeatGeek. Tickets are not as expensive as I thought. You can get in the upper deck for like 85 bucks. So, uh, what about like market. a good like lower level riser? Or lower like lower riser. levels are about like 160, you know, 180. That's before fees and stuff like that. But but either way, like that place that's is not bad be at cool. all. It's not bad at all. Um, I'm kind of surprised, but that place is going to be bananas for that Sami Zayn entrance. And that's going to be a moment that you go back and watch. I go back all the time and watch the 2011 Money in the Bank Cena versus CM Punk uh, promo video plus the entrances, the massive boo for Cena, the big cheer for CM Punk. That's like one of the best entrance moments of all time. And I feel like this could be right up there. And it's it's just, it's going to be wild. So what all of you listening are getting overhead should know is Chris does not have the show rundown when we tape. So I have the entire thing. I lead the way. He usually responds to what I say, brings up his own topics. We discuss them. That's how it goes. So Chris did not know that my final topic of conversation before we wrapped up the <laughs> WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview was to take one final angle on this match. And it is something that I've mentioned before that you just brought up. I do believe that Reigns in his entrance and exit for Montreal will probably have more heat on him than anyone. Now, I agree since John Cena, but I was going to say John Cena at ECW One Night Stand. That mm. was 16 years ago. Sammy, I think, is probably going to get the biggest babyface reaction that we've seen in WWE, like going into a match since, and maybe even during a match, since Canadian Stampede in 1997. Now, some may point out Kofi Kingston when winning at WrestleMania 35. And I'm the first to admit, and I've said proudly on this show, that is the single most emotional I've ever been at a wrestling show, seeing Kofi win the title. But there wasn't a real hatred for Daniel Bryan. He was just the foil in the match. CM Punk in Chicago, either for Money in the Bank 2011, as you just mentioned, or even the first dance with AEW, those responses were insane. But first dance wasn't a match. It was just like a return. And while fans hated Cena in 2011, it wasn't universal. Now, it was more universal in Chicago than it was like in Cincinnati or somewhere else where it was 50-50 or maybe 60-40. But there wasn't the level of vitriol, I don't think, for Cena in 2011 that there is for Reigns now in 2023. I do believe that we will remember the feelings that we get in the main event of Elimination Chamber for a long time. There's a chance it's an all-time WWE moment up with Kofi and Punk, Canadian Stampede, and even the post-match at this year's Royal Rumble. In terms of the most emotional, exciting, enthralling moments that we have experienced over the last 25 years of WWE. Completely agree. Like these are, look, WWE is all about the moments. Like that's what it's all about. It's not about, oh, we had a great match. It's about, you remember the moments. You remember Canadian Stampede. You remember mm -hmm. Punk. You remember Punk versus Cena 2011. Not because Meltzer gave it a five-star match. You remember it because of the entrance and because of the way it ended. And yep. 
that is what you build toward. These are the moments you build toward. And I absolutely cannot wait. They've built this whole thing up perfectly ever since May. It, it went down a road they didn't expect. Vince McMahon was in charge when this thing started. Like they, they, they brought it all the way to this point and they nailed it with the Royal Rumble. They're going to nail it here, I think. And it's going to be, it, it's, it's probably going to be one of those moments you always go back and rewatch. The, the Royal Rumble was the plane descending out of the sky without any turbulence. Elimination Chamber needs to be the landing gear deploying without any technical malfunctions. And then WrestleMania needs to be that smooth landing that we've been talking about. And right now, things are looking pretty damn good. Now, we still have the last word to come before we wrap up. But Chris, we end the WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview as we always do with our pre-show expectation grade. One more reminder for you, our listeners, you will be able to vote and provide your own pre-show grade on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will post a poll one hour before Elimination Chamber, and we will read the results of that poll along with your and our post-show grades in the WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis coming Saturday night, Sunday morning, as soon as this premium live event goes off the air. Chris, whenever we do grades here, I always let you go first, and there's a lot of pressure here and next month when we get to WrestleMania. What is your pre-show expectation grade for Elimination Chamber? I give the Rumble an A, right? Did I give it an A? You gave it an A. I gave it an A minus. I think that's what it was, yeah. And I think I stuck with A minus. I think the listener said A minus, and I think you may have come down and met us there, if memory serves. Yeah, so like, this is... the only debate here is, is it an A or is it an A minus? <laughs> that, that's that's the conversation that. here. And I'm going to go A minus because it doesn't have the Royal Rumble matches. The two chamber matches are fine. Neither of them are all that interesting. It's a US, it's a secondary title and a number one contendership for a women's belt. It's not as big as they used to be. The mixed tag is is fun. It's, it's not, you know, the biggest thing in the world. Bobby versus Brock will be really fun. This is this match. This this card is all about one match, the championship match, the final segment, the final match. Good chance it could be an A plus. But as for the whole show, I'm going a minus. It's different than the rumble. Hey, we got a big title match and we got two rumbles. The chambers aren't the rumbles. I'm going a minus. So this is really interesting because I am a massive Royal Rumble fan. Again, I've said this many times on the show. WrestleMania is, of course, WWE's biggest show of the year, and it's the one you get most excited for. But try as they might to make SummerSlam number two. For me, it never will be. Royal Rumble is number two. And I was very uh, excited, and I had extremely high expectations for the Royal Rumble, yet I was still at an A- minus going in just because I thought the rest of the card may not you know, live up to expectations. And I'm flipping it on the head here because what happened in the main event of the Royal Rumble, every single thing that we have seen on TV with this Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns storyline, we're about to get everything from the Rumble match, except that Sami actually in the match. Oh, and by the way, it's in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, not San Antonio, Texas. So when you combine that with the fact that it looks to me like they're going to put Asuka over in the women's elimination chamber. I actually do think that has a chance to be the quote unquote worst match on the card. Just because as you kind of mentioned, there's not a lot of other women in the match that are believable possible winners. Raquel 
is still good, but she's just a little green in the ring, doesn't really have a character. So for me, it's an Asuka and Liv match. And my guess is they take Liv out early to kind of separate her from Asuka ultimately, winning that way either Asuka doesn't get booed or maybe they put Asuka over Liv at the end. Maybe I'm overthinking it. That way Asuka does get booed because they want her as a heel. Regardless, I think it's going to be maybe the low point of the show, not because of the, the quality of wrestling, but I just don't think it's that exciting of a match. But I think the men's elimination chamber match, the talent in that ring is set up for a banger. Bobby Lashley against Braun Strowman. I mean, do we forget what kind of podcast we are? He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is beef. There's going to be a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. We're going to see beef flying in that ring. <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. So that's a major match, whether it ends in a no contest or not. And I'm very excited for the Judgment Day, Beth Phoenix, and Edge match. So I am going into this show due to the main event in significant quantity with an expectation grade of an A. I, I Wow. I don't want to say it's the only time I've ever done it, but I don't remember having done it. Previously. I think it is. Yeah. So I'm, my expectations are sky high for this show. I am immensely excited. And if it falls below my expectations, so be it. If it ends up as a BB plus, you know, A minus, then shit happens. But I am so excited for the main event of this show that I'm going there and I'm uh, giving this an A. That this, it's rare that yours is higher than mine. I like think just in ever, general, I think we're equal or I'm lower every single time on top of you being an A and, and that that's fine. I mean, just to me, the, the chamber matches are. I just as I compare my grade to the Rumble chamber matches are below Rumble matches and you've got a great title match. I agree. So, so you know, that's just even, even if you just said A solely because of Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn, like I get that, like I that on its own is going to be here's here's the difference okay i think you and i both agreed correct me if i'm wrong even though we very much liked the rumble matches themselves i think we agreed that our grade was elevated because of the main event and the post match in that main event is that correct for royal yes always is yes so my take is i think the rest of the show is going to be very similar to what we got at the royal rumble but i think the main event is going to be so good that it pushes it up even further than the Royal Rumble main event did. It could. Very well. Because that match, I'm not saying KO and Reigns was a bad main event in terms of the wrestling, but it wasn't great. And we've seen both of them have better matches. I think it's going to be pure fire for Zayn and Reigns the entire time they are wrestling. And then whatever happens in the post-match is going to take it to another level. I could even see Cody coming out at the end if there's a beatdown of Sammy and KO, maybe they're getting their asses kicked. I don't know what happens. I could even see Cody come out and do the first ever face-to-face with Reigns. I don't know that you do that on Raw or SmackDown. I think you do that on a premium live event. So no, there's a you're, lot. You're not, yeah. you're, you're not doing that in Montreal. You're not doing Cody Roman in Montreal. Oh, you're shit, ending, you're right. you're you're ending right. with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. <laughs> you're right. No, you're, yeah. Well, if he's saving them, Yes, we didn't talk about that. There is a possibility that they're both getting beat down and, and Cody saves That's what that. I just said. That's what I said. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Th- yeah, that is possible. I just, I think it's extremely unlikely. He's saving both hometown heroes at the end when they're getting ganged up on, you know, four to one or whatever the case. Then he gets cheered no matter what, but, and he lifts Sammy up and Sammy hugs him. They put each other over. Like, there's a lot yeah, of ways. I, I, I don't want that. I want it to end like the, I want it to end like the rumble ended. You want to end with the crowd with the heat, you want people to be throwing water bottles and I you want people throwing water bottles at Roman Reigns and whatnot. I Don't agree. throw water bottles. So 
Don't do that, anyone who's in Montreal and listening. And by the way, let's just not forget something here. There's a lot of, from what I understand, getting overheads, going to this Elimination Chamber show. Let's not forget the rule here on getting over. You bring a sign for getting over. It doesn't have to be the show name. It can be a phrase. Whatever the case, you bring a sign. It gets on the pay-per-view, the premium live event. You join the show. You get to have a segment on this podcast. And if you bring a sign and at least just show us pictures, then you get a shout out here at getting over. So don't forget, if you're going to Montreal for Elimination Chamber, bring that getting over signage. And hopefully you get on TV and you get to join us here right on the podcast. Chris, those are our pre-show expectation grades for Elimination Chamber. On the way out, we're going to get to the last word. We're going to sign off. And then, of course, we will see you for two more shows before the week is out. But as we get out of here, the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have a speed poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch your niche for it like fresh cut grass. So we have Greg Heminger at Heminger Greg. He writes in, I'm asking the Silver King and Vintage the question that defines all wrestling fans that saw the beginning of the Attitude Era. Are you a Sean guy or a Brett guy? Although I'm Canadian, I'm an HBK fan and point to his mania resume as to why he's superior to Brett. What matches would you point to for each respective wrestler in arguing their superiority? Now, Chris, I'll take this first. I'm not going to go and point to uh, specific matches. It's a long show. That's a whole other conversation. But in terms of whether I am a Brett guy or a Sean guy, Sympathy. I have no sympathy for Brett whatsoever. None. I have no sympathy for someone who was supposed to be a rustling traditionalist, not doing the right thing for the business that made him, not doing the right thing for the fans and the performers and the organization who helped make him what he is today. Brett made a very, very selfish decision. Brett's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever for Brett. Now, of course, I don't believe on every single thing that he just said. I just wanted to use the sound drop. But look, here's my take on the entire thing. Brett is a better technical wrestler. He's a master in the ring. He's one of the best all time. Sean is a better performer, a better talker, one of the best sellers of all time. Sean has also, for me, been part of more memorable moments and matches and storylines that mattered as I grew up a wrestling fan. Brett's an artist. Sean is an entertainer. Always have been and always will be a Sean guy. And what cemented that further for me was when I interviewed Bret Hart a few years ago with Brian Campbell on the old show that we had. We had a great interview with him. And on the podcast, we commiserated on the Brett versus Sean debate, really the same question that you're asking. And we both chose Sean because we both happened to like Sean Michaels more than Bret Hart, personal preference. That led to me getting an email from Bret Hart that called us, quote, jerk offs of the highest order. Whoa, so I didn't know this. Said, I didn't know this. <laughs> he said that for a simple preference that we expressed on a show where we praised him up and down and said how much we loved him and how great he was. So it always was Sean. It always will be, Sean, especially after that. I also did side a little bit more with Vince than Brett when it came to his departure in the Montreal Screwjob. Not that it was the best way to handle the situation, obviously, what WWE did. But Brett's a traditionalist who refused to do business traditionally. And that always bugged me as someone who kind of grew up believing you go out on your back and you go out to the guy that the organization wants you to put over. So 
That always bugged me, but that's really just like the cherry on the Sunday of me choosing Sean over Brett. I thought we were going to disagree here. I didn't know. I didn't know your answer coming into this, but no, to, to, to me, it's Sean. And it's what you said. This is not a real sport. Like it, it it's, it's entertainment. And I, mm-hmm. I, I know sports entertainment was said because you wanted to get around various laws, or whatever. It's fine, but that's what it is. And Sean is the better entertainer. Wrestling is like, I just said, wrestling is about moments. And Sean has so many more moments. It's honestly a disservice to Brett that one of his almost his defining moment in his career is the screw job. Um, mm-hmm. That's not the case for Sean. Sean's got a litany of other situations and, and stuff that he's been the Ric Flair retirement, the Undertaker matches, uh, mm-hmm. so many other things that, that he's on the, the entrance at WrestleMania 13 coming down. Like that's what we remember with wrestling. We don't go back and, Oh, let's watch that technical wrestling fest that Bret Hart had. Some people do. Some people do, and that's totally fine. This gets back to what I said, where this isn't the same WWE crowd. There's AEW and WWE fans, like very different things in pro wrestling, and that's totally mm-hmm. fine. But for me, it's Shawn Michaels. I like the moment. I like the entrance themes, as I said. I like the 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 spectacle of it all. That's that's what it is for me. That's what Shawn Michaels is. Also, I think I've said it here before, but my very first wrestling memory is Shawn Michaels' bare ass hanging out when he tried to get over the ropes fighting the Undertaker in one of the in-your-house matches, and uh, Undertaker picks him up by the trunks, his ass is hanging out. I walk into my living room and my dad's <laughs> watching it, and I'm like, what is this? And I was hooked after that. So because of Shawn Michaels' bare ass, I'm going with Shawn Michaels. On top of all of that, I just turned my head. I'm looking at my wall of collectibles. I have a shelf, the whole thing. One of the items on there, really the only, I think it's the only wrestling autograph that I have on this entire wall or anything uh, it is a whole plaque from WrestleMania 12 at the Arrowhead Pond. Shawn Michaels winning the World Wrestling Federation Championship. WrestleMania 12 with a piece of the mat and Shawn Michaels signature uh, with a heart. And it says uh, HBK click on the entire thing. So, I mean, am I a Shawn yes. guy or a Brett guy? I'm a Shawn guy. I look at it as comparing like Ricky Henderson and Ichiro. Right? Ichiro was maybe the greatest hitter of all time. You can make that argument, right? Um but Ricky Henderson was a hell of a lot more entertaining. You could even throw Pete Rose into that mix, right? Because uh, Pete Rose certainly had some demons and Sean certainly had some demons, although Sean has completely rehabbed from those. And Pete Rose, you can draw your own conclusions. Point being, uh, re- wrestling, like you said, you actually put it really well. Uh, it's not just the sports aspect. It's the sports and the entertainment aspect. And I'm not saying Brett wasn't a good promo. He was. I'm not saying he couldn't tell good stories. He could. But... I preferred Sean in almost every single level compared to Brett, though I greatly respect uh, his in-ring prowess, his talent, his ability, uh, his career. It also ended, by the way, uh, Brett's on a really sour note in WCW, the way that happened. Whereas with Sean, he got to go out on top, you know, in in huge matches. And I'm not counting what happened in the match that we won't talk about with the cowboy hat getting lost and the, the, the shaved head and all that, or the bald head and all that. I'm talking about his real retirement. Um, Sean, every part of his career, including the end of it, resonated more with me as a wrestling fan than Brett. And that is how we will wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, the WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview Edition. We went long here, but we wanted to deliver it all for you guys as you could listen to this show the entire week leading up to WWE Elimination 
chamber. On the way out, some reminders of what's to come and what we, Chris and Adam, need you to do for us. First, the schedule. On Thursday, we will be back with your next AEW and NXT show. And then on Saturday, we will have a live WWE Elimination Chamber pre-show on Twitter Spaces. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Approximately 90 minutes before the show, we will go ahead and do that. And then as soon as Elimination Chamber goes off the air, we will hit you up with a WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis podcast right in the feed where you are listening to this show right now. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can join that live show on Twitter Spaces, so you can vote in the pre and post show polls, and of course, so you get episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. And then one more ask on the way out. Please don't forget that Getting Over is all about Defy. So head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, drop those five-star ratings on Apple, leave a five-star written review. If you do, We will read it live right here on the show. And if you are going to WWE Elimination Chamber, bring a sign. If you bring one, we will give you a shout out on the show. If you get it on TV, you get to join us here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast on the road to WrestleMania 39. Thanks to Chris once again for joining me. Thanks to all of you Getting Overheads once again for listening. It is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.